crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other! other. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Criminy. We're your hosts, Matt and Angela. And we've got more fucked up things to tell you. Happy holidays and yeah. <laughs> New Year's is uh after this? Before this. <sighs> New Year's. What day after is this. it? New Year's is coming up. Uh and hopefully twenty twenty one will be better. <laughs> oh, it's gonna get off to a rocky start. Uh, I mean, I always celebrate my own personal New Year's on my birthday because that's like the real New New Year's. Year's. Yeah, yours. Whereas this is like arbitrary or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be a weird one this year. Yeah, considering how this year went, it's going to be a weird year. (laughs) So before I get... Oh, but uh, also for the New Year, don't worry, Toby has been making sacrifices to the New Year gods, so hopefully... Very good, very good. What has he sacrificed so far? He decapitated a rat. Very good. Holy shit, a rat? So, that's fun. Mm-hmm. <gasps> and then Zachary's like, his the tail was the longest I've ever seen, so it may have been like the biggest rat he's ever gotten. Is and it going like, on his tail gross. collection where he like measures <laughs> the, like it's like antlers on a, some kind of, what do I, what, God damn it, on a deer, on a deer, deer, our deer? Yeah. Buck, yeah, on a buck. Yeah, The uh-huh. antlers. Mounted. Man, mounted. Yes, because they can buck you. And so yeah, like the bigger mount, the antlers, the, tails. the like, better, the more majest, majestical. That's right. We mount the mm-hmm. rat butts so you can see the tail. <laughs> <laughs> He's very proud. Yeah, he really is. He really is. He had a lull. He wasn't like catching anything, and then yeah, uh, then he brought in that Oof. lovely rat back end. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. so he's on to bigger and better creatures then. Yeah, it was on Christmas Eve, so I felt oh, like he was <laughs> he was cute. making a sacrifice for Santa. Uh, <laughs> Got to. He doesn't just make presents for free. Well, Santa didn't visit, so it's kind of oh, like... Oh. Maybe he didn't like that one. <laughs> it's like, I would like milk and cookies, not rats. Uh. Decapitated rats. Anyway. Did yeah, he put I it did. on a nice little plate with some milk? He did, yeah. A little milk to wash it down. <laughs> He's sleeping soundly right now. Hmm. Well, that was it. Just the hmm. he's been making That's the sacrifices, okay. so hopefully this year will be yeah, I will think, be a little better. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Um. Also, don't forget to support Humblebee Herbal and get some awesome bath products for you or loved ones. Just because the holidays are coming to an end doesn't mean you don't. You can't get gifts for yourself or others. Like let's celebrate yourself year round, right? Cheer people up all year round. Yeah, let's clean ourselves off after this dirty year of disgustingness. Ew, <laughs> scrub. They got some scrubby bars. You can really scrub off the grime. Ooh, just take a few layers of skin off. 
<laughs> gently, though, gently. with natural exfoliants. Yes, yes, ever so gently. <laughs> Check them out at humblebeeherbal.com and use code CRIMINY20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. All right, let's hop to. Hop to. Okay, I got a lot of my information from vice.com with a ah. sprinkling of Wikipedia and a documentary called Madness in the Fast Lane. I thought you were going to say a dash of... And a dash of a documentary called Madness (laughs) in the Fast Lane. Thank you. All right. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about two women, Sabina and Ursula Erickson, who are twins. Okay. They were born in 1967 in Sweden, and they had an older sister and an older brother. But other than that, there's not really much information on their life. Okay. Other than that. Yeah. So, you know, obviously they grew up together. And then at one point, the sisters parted ways and Ursula moved to the United States and Sabina moved to Ireland and she had a partner and two kids. So they're kind of doing their own thing, which I think it's kind of rare for twins to split up, you know. Usually I feel like they like to stick together unless they don't want to be like associated with like each other or whatever. I think it depends on like how you're raised. Like some are raised, you know, where they like wear the same clothes and like the parents treat them the exact same. And it's kind of like they don't have their own personality. But some are raised like as individuals as they should be. And I think find it easier to kind of go their own path. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, nothing. Yeah, there was nothing written about it. That they, like, had a right. blowout I mean, or anything. I they do have that, like, twin connection. They do. But... They do, and you will see they do. Ooh. Ooh. So, <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> twin thing? <laughs> cool. I mean, can be. Or hazardous. Or exactly. <laughs> oh, no. So, you know, years pass, and in May of 2008, they're 41 years old, and they decide to meet up. They hadn't seen each other in a while. So... Ursula was going to fly from the United States to meet up with Sabina in Ireland. And then they, so there's no real accounts of them taking a ferry, but it's the only logical explanation from how they got from Ireland to England. They hopped on a ferry and almost immediately once they got into the port city. Somewhere in England. In a good old England. Okay. <laughs> Jolly old England port. So they went to the St. Anne police station. Like they get off oh. the ferry and they go straight to the police station because Uh-oh. Sabina said that she needed to report concerns that she had that her children weren't being taken care of or something. What? Yeah. there's it, She just had some kind of concern over her children who were back. She's the one who was living in Ireland. Yeah. So her kids were back in Ireland with her partner. So she like just left them just and left was them. like gets gets I'm into worried. England immediately goes to the police station and is like I need to report that I have some concern it's not said what the concern was but she was she went to them and was like I need you to contact the police in Dublin and have them check out you know make sure my kids are okay Okay so the English police were like sure we will uh we'll contact the Dublin police and we will follow up on the complaint and, Do like a welfare check? Yeah, something thing. like that. Okay. And then she was like, great, that's all I wanted. So then her and her sister. What the fuck they... is happening? Exactly. Okay, this whole story is a what the fuck is happening. 
Okay. Okay, so they get on a bus. Ex- ex- sorry, excuse me. They boarded the National Express coach to London. Uh, a coach. A coach. Mm-hmm. And um, they're on the bus. And at some point along the way, they uh, the bus stops at a service station. And the bus driver refuses to let them back on the bus. What? Um, he says that they were acting suspiciously, like the entire time they were on the bus, they were like holding their backpacks to their chest, like clinging them uh-huh. and just like acting kind of suspicious. And when they had gotten off at the service station before they got on, he asked if he could check their bags because he was concerned. Right. Because I guess like weird. initially when they got on the coach, he was like, here, give me your bags. I'll check them or, you know, put them under the bus. Yeah. And they were like, no, you can't have our bags. Like, they're ours. Don't, you can't touch them. And so, and just. I mean, part of me is kind of like, I like having my bags with me. But at the same time, it's like. But I wouldn't have a reaction like that. They were like very. thanks. It's okay. Yeah, they were like very combative. And so he was like, I'm, he was like afraid that there was something in the bags that could potentially be harmful. So he decided that he was just going to. He was going to leave them at the Strand service. Strand them yep. at the yep. service. Yep, he was going to maroon them. Oh <laughs> and But like before wow. b- before he did, he went into the station and he told the service ma- the station manager that he was suspicious about the women. And then mm-hmm. she was like, okay, I'll keep an eye out. So he drove away and she was kind of watching them and they were- They didn't like call a cab or anything no. for them? No. <laughs> It's just like, okay, bye. I mean, I'm sure if they went into the service station, they could have used a phone to call. But they were, like, standing outside, and then they were holding their bags really suspiciously, and then they, like, ran to Uh the back of the building. And the service manager said that she thought that they might be carrying explosives or something because it was they were acting very suspiciously and, like, kind of erratically. running around with their backpacks and stuff. Yeah, like, and the way they were holding it seemed like they had something suspicious in there. So Uh the service manager called the police and the police came and they were able to talk to the, they were able to talk to Ursula and Sabina. Mm -hmm. They said like when they were talking to them, they didn't feel like they were a threat to themselves or anyone else. They thought like everything was fine. They talked to us and they didn't feel like anything was suspicious. So they were like, all right, then carry on. And they left them at the service station. (laughs) Why is no one giving them a ride? Like, take them back to the ferry so they can go home or whatever. I don't know. I don't know that they even asked for that. Like, I don't think that yeah, they... Don't, I mean, I just feel like if you, like, drive up you... on some suspicious people who are, like, thrown off a bus, wouldn't you be like, hey, we could, like, take you where you need to go. We could take you home or we can take you, I mean, you know, or, like, help you figure it out. They might have. They might have refused or they might have just been like, well... It's all set then. They seem like they've got their things figured out. They've got their backpacks to clutch to. And uh, (laughs) they're not from around here and probably don't know anything about this area. We'll just leave them. Yeah. Yeah. So they drove off and the two women started. So I guess this service station was like right off of the M6 motorway, which is like a freeway, (laughs) like a freeway, basically. So I don't know that it was like that you could get to the service station without being on the motorway. You know, it's one of those, like, you have to be on to hop off, whatever. Right. Just like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Also, I think other people call them highways. I think freeway is like a California thing. Um, actually, I looked it up. You did you? And a freeway is like, it's own, it's basically like you can't get onto it. It's like its own thing, like, 
there's no cross traffic that you can't right. you can't get onto it from like anything else right and the, a highway is like usually more in rural areas and they usually like there like is there is town. cross traffic and you will drive through mm-hmm. town so you can have them in both places you can have I a freeway and that. a highway at the same time. I just time. used them like interchangeably. I did too. But apparently the freeway is like its own self-enclosed thing. You can only get on at certain on-ramps and off at on-ramp, off-ramps, yeah. but you can't like just hop on anywhere. Does not drive through a town. Exactly. Well, it could drive like around, like through a town, but it's you can't get on unless but you're like on a an f- on-ramp. But like a, a highway freeway. is more like you can turn onto it from like a, you know, a stoplight. Right. Right. I'm picturing like the 101. Uh-huh. That drives through like towns yep. where you like That's slow down and people can get on exactly. and off. But then in some places they turn it into a freeway because right. they like circumvent the town. Exactly. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if any of that made sense. Yeah. Real life situations. <sighs> But anyway, so these two women decide that, you know, I don't know where they were going or what they were planning on doing, but they decided mm-hmm. to walk on the M6 on motorway. the motorway? And the way that this is set up, there's like... See, wait, wait. So a motorway is a freeway? Uh, it Yeah. It's more of a freeway. Yeah. They, okay. At least where they were, it was like there was one lane going one way, one lane going the other way, and there was a median mm-hmm. divide. And you couldn't. I'm guessing get on you're off. not allowed to walk on. Um, those. No, there were no pedestrian, road, like okay. sidewalks or anything. And right. Okay. So there's like closed caption television. Like there's like security cameras all yeah. around the roads, and so they have videos of them, and they're like in the center uh, median, which like you know here it's more, here it's more like a barricade where it's like a like a stone wall or something. There it was more. Yeah. There were like two kind of guardrails, so you could walk in right. the middle of them. And be on the ground. So you could see them walking along this median and then... What the fuck? And then at one point, Sabina, like, hops over the median and just, like, start, like, walks right into traffic and is, like, gra- <gasps> grazed by this car. But she's fine. What the fuck? So concerned citizens called the police and they were like um we got some people on the road you might want to come check this out like is this a very busy yeah freeway yeah cars are going so she didn't like fast she wait for like a no. small break no. and kind of like walk no. she just what? in the video she just walks directly into a car like oh like God. this like the side of it so she like hits it and then she like trips and falls and then she gets back up what yep so the cops show up at the scene and uh, yeah. and they're like uh you know they they they're able to get a break in traffic and get the women off to the shoulder like on the side and they're like questioning yeah. them and they said once again they were totally calm totally normal they even That doesn't mean they're normal they and even, they're okay. They even were like just like smoking cigarettes and joking with the officers and you know whatever so the officers were like okay i guess we got this under control and oh the other the other thing is there was during the same time there was a um a show called i think it was called traffic cops or something similar which was basically like cops Uh in the u.s but it's like this uk show and they were filming during this time they were like on a ride along to like film traffic cops or whatever motorway cops or whatever it's called so they film them so it's on yeah you can watch this whole thing what the fuck so wait so they still have their backpacks 
Yeah, so they have their stuff. They're just like, okay, you know, chatting with the cops, smoking cigarettes. What are the chances? And what the fuck? Then all of a sudden, Ursula just bolts into traffic. So she like makes a run for it, and one of the officers grabs her coat, and then she like slips right out of the coat and runs oh. straight into the side of an oncoming big rig, or should I say, lorry. Uh, oh. <laughs> that was traveling about 56 miles per hour or 90 kilometers per hour. And you can see her shoes go flying and she gets run over by all the wheels. <gasps> oh my God, what? <laughs> and second, like literally seconds after Ursula gets hit by this big rig and the big, you know, yeah. the truck like stops and gets out. Yes. And, like, like before he can even stop the big rig. Sabina jumps into traffic and she (gasps) gets hit by a Volkswagen Polo. So it's like a little hatchback bounces off the windshield and flies like 35 feet. And she's knocked unconscious. What the fuck? (laughs) So somehow though, so everything's like fine, cool, like Mm -hmm. whatever. And then all of a sudden, like three seconds, one flees and then the other one's unconscious. Well, no, both of them are still alive. What? Yep. <laughs> what? So Ursula, who had been hit by the truck, her legs were yeah. like badly mangled, like obviously compound fractures. Yes. But it the truck just ran over her legs. <gasps> and so she was she was conscious. And Sabina, who hit the car, was unconscious for 15 minutes and then regained consciousness. And the cops were like, what the fuck is happening? Yes. Like, we need medics now. So they. And so it's the crew of like traffic cops yeah. or whatever. They're like. So they've like stopped the traffic on the one side that they're. Yes. This is all happening. And they call in air, the air medics, like an air ambulance. So a helicopter yeah. lands on that side of the road. And in the meantime, like the the police are trying to, you know, put the mylar blankets over the women because like obviously mm-hmm. they're in shock. So like cover them like get them warm until the medics can get to them but while they're doing this and like sabina comes to and she's she like wakes up and then she just starts screaming and she starts clawing and spitting at the police officer helping her and then like at one point she yelled i recognize you you're not real (gasps) oh no Uh and she was also she also kept yelling for help and for someone to call the police Oh, no. Like, no matter how many times the police were like, we are the police. We're the police. And she was just like, help! Someone call the police! And then... Oh, my God. And then then her sister, Ursula, is like, uh, starts yelling, too. And she yells to Sabina, they're going to steal your organs! (gasps) What the fuck? (laughs) Then, out of nowhere, Sabina, who had been hit by the car, jumps up from the ground. No. Why is she not restrained at this point? And she starts yelling more, asking, why do you kill me? And then she made her way back to the median. And as a police... Why is no one grabbing her? They're they're trying. And she's like evading them, like running around, like, can't get me, can't get me. And this one woman officer chases her down and like grabs at her coat. And then Sabina clocks her in the face. So the, the policewoman is down. She hops over the median again uh-huh. into the other side of traffic. 
And like, luckily there weren't as many cars going that way. And the cops were able to stop traffic on that side. And it took six police officers, 10 minutes to restrain a 110 pound woman. She was fighting them off. Like you can watch the video. They're like, there's like two people on each leg and like two people on arms and like, and she is like flailing around and they can like barely restrain her. Yeah. Whoa. What? She just, they have like this psychotic break. Like what is happening? We don't know. Shut up. What? Yeah. We don't, we don't know. So looking through the debris from the truck and car crash and stuff and, you know, the backpacks that they had basically exploded open after they were both hit. Yeah. The police found an oddly nar- large number of cell phones. What? And one passport. They were just going to share it? I guess. I don't know. So there was like a laptop. There was some cash. And then well, there was... Uh, I mean, is it the the U.S. one has the passport? Because that would make sense. Maybe. It might because I doubt. I mean, back then. Well, I guess I they, guess what they were saying was that they couldn't find ID at all for one of them. So they had ID for one okay. of them, which was a passport, and then they couldn't find the other one's ID. Right. And I guess at the time okay. when all this was happening, obviously, like they're they don't have time to like compare them, so they didn't even know that they were twins at the time. They were uh-huh. just like these two crazy women are running about. Are they identical? Or are they fraternal? I don't know. They look similar to me. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, you have that face blindness. So. How dare you? You have like mild hey, face blindness. We figured out why you had face blindness because you're watching. I don't think that's it. Yeah, because no. you're watching TV on a screen that's like two inches by two inches. Can't goddamn see anyone's face. <laughs> no, because I get it even when I'm watching it on like a bigger screen. Uh-huh. I just think everyone looks the same, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> So okay, okay. So police are like, yeah, what the fuck is happening? They think maybe it was like a suicide pact, or that they were both on drugs, right? But after both women were tested for drugs and alcohol, they came back clean. Okay. Ursula was taken to a hospital to be treated for her fractured legs, and Sabina, who was somehow okay after bouncing off a car, was taken down to the police station to be processed for punching an officer. And uh, while oh, she's she, a strong little thing. Um, yeah. So while she's being booked, she never once asked about her sister. And she became really flirty with the booking officers. Uh-oh. And even was like kind of faking frustration when they told her she had to take her jewelry off. Like, oh, what? How? I can't take that off. You know, like, oh, uh. I'm not going to look good if I don't have my jewelry. And like, oh, you want me to wear that? What is happening? <laughs> and then she said, very cryptically, Uh-oh. We say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually, at least one more follows, maybe two. Is it kind of like here where it's like celebrities die in threes kind of a thing? Maybe. Theirs is just like... I mean, I have heard, I have heard that like threes. things come in threes or whatever. I've, ha- I've heard yeah, that I mean, term, but... yeah. But she was like super, she was like kind of joking about it and said that. Okay, well, you were both <laughs> collectively hit by three cars, right? Lots of threes. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> she was like relatively calm this entire time, but it could also be because she was given sedatives. Like once they restrained her, they injected her with yeah. some sedatives because she was like taking on six yeah. officers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So which is kind of like badass. <laughs> yeah, but and also, also you can yikes. you can see her like this is all filmed. Like you can watch this video of her being booked and everything, and her being flirtatious and yeah. <gasps> is it like ha- is it like eerie? It's kind of. I mean, it's what's weird it like? because you don't know what's going on. Like you don't have you don't know what's going on with her or in her head. Yeah. And like I said, it could be part partly the sedation could have like taken the edge off of her if she did you know crack or whatever you want to call it go to a psychotic break it's it could sounds the like she's could... having a psychotic episode yeah so but like both like of them both of them mm-hmm. it's yeah. similar to the story i told you of the papin the papin papin sisters papin. the papin sisters <laughs> where it's like one of them goes crazy and the other one goes crazy behind them uh but the fact that they like lived so far apart it's like they weren't influencing each other's psychosis but then maybe they were well so um police called sabina's partner while Mm -hmm. while she was in lockup the one who they did the welfare check on yeah well i don't know that they actually did a welfare check but they called the partner and the partner basically had no idea where sabina was nor did he know, or they didn't give a gender to this person, nor did they know that she was even in England. The partner said that Ursula had come to visit from the U.S. Uh-huh. to Ireland and was, like, staying with them for a little bit and that the two of them, like, instantly became inseparable. Like, as soon as they met up, they were, like, uh-huh. in their own world. And uh-huh. then they just disappeared one day. And he had no, they had no idea what happened to, to Sabina or Ursula. They just disappeared. This is why, like, background would be helpful. Exactly. And it's so frustrating when there's, like, not much background. So the following day, Sabina was released from court. She pleaded guilty to the charges of punching an officer and trespassing <laughs> on the highway and was sen- okay. was sentenced to one day in custody, which she basically got time served for spending the night there and was released the next day. No, no, no. You need to do like a psychological evaluation of this woman because she's clearly harmful to herself. Yep. There was no. She just ran into traffic like three different times. There's no indication that any psychiatric evaluation was taken of her. There were... Isn't this in like the 2000s? 2008. What the hell? Yeah. They said. Cause How are you just going to let her go? When they were talking to her, they were like, oh, she's fine. No, she's not. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. Just because she can talk herself out of something doesn't mean that she didn't just do it. Um, a Swedish a Swedish newspaper reported that the, the older brother had claimed that his sisters were fleeing from maniacs that were chasing them. So I don't know if that's uh, what he told or that's what they told him or if uh-huh. he also is has some kind of delusions. Right. So Sabina... Leaves the jail and she starts wandering around and because... Well, it would make sense if she's like, I think something's going on with my children. Mm-hmm. She wants them to be safe if she actually thinks that some someone is after them. Yeah. Yeah. The way that the video is when they're like screaming and being... Basically, they think like it looks like they think that these police officers are like imposters and that they're there yeah. to like, do them harm and that they're not the real police and that like they're abducting them. Like they're being kidnapped by these people that they don't know. Who are going to take their organs. Yeah. And I don't know, like uh, running into traffic, getting hit by a car is better than yeah, going under- with them. I don't know. Well, if they think the people aren't real, maybe they think the cars aren't real either. That could be. 
I don't know. This whole thing is just like, what the fuck? It gets a little stranger. Oh, good. Oh, good. Mm, That's just what we need. (laughs) So, you know, Sabina's out and about, and she has nowhere to go. She doesn't even know this place. She's not from here. She doesn't know anyone in this area. And she doesn't... What? Why is no one there to pick her up? No one... No. No one's there. Who's going to pick her up? She doesn't know anyone. And her sister is in the hospital, and she doesn't know where she is. No, why doesn't her partner come get her? I have no idea. What? No idea. Okay. They're like, clearly this woman has had a psychotic break. She just tried to kill herself a bunch of times. She thought that we were trying to kill her and take her organs. She's totally normal. (laughs) Totally fine. We're just going to set her free in this place that she doesn't know and has no support or any, like, anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's not our responsibility. We're not going to, like, hold her until someone can come get her. Can't hold her. Or check out her, like, psychological state. Nope. nope. Good. Uh-huh. So she's... They're like, not my problem. <laughs> so she's what wandering the around the streets of... Uh, what the oh, fuck? by the way, this town or city is called Stoke-on-Trent. Cute. Cute. I'm stoked on Trent. I'm stoked on on Trent. (laughs) I want to meet this Trent. (laughs) So she's wandering around and she's carrying all her possessions, including 1,000 pounds in cash and a laptop in a clear plastic bag. Did they give her all of her phones back too? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them got smashed in the uh, explosion of backpacks flying. She has 1,000 pounds on her. 1,000 pounds in cash. In a clear plastic bag. In it, well, it was in her backpack, but because of the, you know, the backpacks exploded, and then once they book you, they put everything that you have in bags. So she uh-huh. got the, so the plastic bag was from the police station. Okay, let's set her free <laughs> in this place that she doesn't know <laughs> to wander around while she's clearly having a psychotic break with a shit ton of money in a clear plastic <laughs> bag and see how she does. <laughs> What? Well, maybe, you know, maybe you should join the force and help. (laughs) Because it sounds like you would do it They need some help. What the fuck? (laughs) Not like a single person was like, hey, uh, maybe we should do an evaluation? I mean, I think also these are like small towns that don't ever have any kind of like craziness happening. So they're not prepared for any of this stuff. Okay, but letting someone go... (laughs) With a clear plastic bag uh-huh. of a substantial sum of money. <laughs> How is that not like a bad idea? It's a bad idea. How uh, is everyone like, yeah, this is totally fine. <laughs> Let her figure it out. I don't know. The other weird thing is like somehow. And a laptop too. It's yeah. like not only does she have like a thousand dollars, she also has like electronics. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And somehow. Um, I don't know how, but she ended up with her sister's jacket. So she's like wearing her sister's jacket and she doesn't have her jackets. I don't know how that got switched up. Well, I mean, they both lost their jackets during the scuffle. <laughs> they did. So so they were just probably like, throw a jacket, a jacket on her. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so she's wandering around until about 7 p.m. when she runs into two local men who were walking a dog. One of the men was uh-huh. 54-year-old Glenn Hollinsett. Holland's head, who was a licensed paramedic, and the other was his friend Peter Malloy. And apparently, like by all accounts, they're both just like very nice guys. You know, they see a mm-hmm. woman in distress, especially Glenn, 
he was he, the paramedic. He was a, yeah, so he was a paramedic, and he yeah. saw that she was kind of distressed. And uh, I guess yeah. when, when they approached, she started petting the dog and like was talking to them, and she seemed like really friendly. And so they were like, okay, this woman like is sticks out like a sore thumb. She doesn't belong here because it's a small town. We know where every you know we know everyone here. So like, yeah. let's try and help her. And she asked if they knew of any B and Bs or hotels. That she could stay in for the night because she's not from around there. Why is her family not there to get her? I just don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand. I Did no one contact n- them? Like, what the fuck? Were they just kind of like, well, she's on her own then. I don't know. All we know is that they that they were contacted and then they were like, oh, we didn't even know that she was out there. Sucks. Like, I have no idea. Hope I have no she idea. finds her way back? No idea. What the fuck? Oh, she ran into traffic and she's like arrested and charged with something. <laughs> We're just going to like let her find her way back. Yep. Yep. And her sister I mean, she... has like <laughs> fractured legs so she can't move. <laughs> yeah, the sister's still in the hospital. So she tells the two guys that she's oh, looking for like she basically tells them what happened. I mean, I don't know what what her version right. of what happened was, but but she like says that they there was a car accident or something and her sister's in a hospital and she can't mm-hmm. she doesn't know where she is. And Glenn just so happens that his brother works in in a hospital. So he was like, oh, I could probably find out. Like, why don't we go back to my house? Because, like, you're not going to find a hotel around here. So we could, like, look, you know, I could I could maybe find some accommodations for you. Like, find someone somewhere you could stay or you could even stay yeah. here while we figure this out. And then we can find your sister. And, you know, he was just, like, a good Samaritan. How are they not, like, notifying you know how they like tell like family members like your I whatever is well, in the hospital. I mean, maybe all this her phones were are. smashed. She couldn't be contacted. <laughs> oh my god! I just don't understand. Like, it just feels like there. This is just like, ugh. What is happening? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, the three okay. of them go to Glenn's house, and he like makes them all a drink just to kind of chill well. out. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, have a drink mm-hmm. and um peter malloy the other guy he said that her like when they started asking her about her sister her mannerism went from like totally cool and calm uh-huh. to very cold and defensive okay yeah don't know why but he said that it was like kind of weird and then she she's like help me find my sister and they're like okay give us some information about her and she's, and she's just kind of like, like why do you want to know, you know? Who do you, who are you? <laughs> so i don't yeah i don't know what she said exactly but like he's interviewed in the documentary and he's basically like yeah it was really weird she was when we first met she was bubbly and cheerful and like you know just like someone that was in a rough spot and then mm-hmm. her demeanor kind of changed, and he said he started feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, she, like, You just let kept... this crazy in your house. Well, and then she kept checking the windows obsessively, no. like, looking out the blinds constantly. Mm. At one point, because they're all, like, drinking and smoking cigarettes, and at one point, she offered them cigarettes from her pack, and mm-hmm. they're like, okay, cool, thanks. And they each took a cigarette, and, like, right before they were about to light it up, she snatched them from their mouths, and she was like, they might be poisoned. Even though she had been yeah, smoking from that pack all night. Well, no, there's definitely some like paranoia and delusion oh, yes. happening. Yes. Oh my god. Also, yeah, all cigarettes are poison. So thank you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I said, Peter was kind of nervous about this woman. So right before midnight, he was like, "All right, I'm going home. Like, 
I guess he like pulled Glenn aside. He's and was nervous like, oh. and he's like, good yeah. luck. Well, he, had, oh, well, he I guess he had pulled Glenn aside at one point and was like, this seems really sketchy. And Glenn was just kind of like, it's fine. Like, she's just, a you know, in a bad place. Like, I'm not afraid. I think it'll be fine. She's Whatever. a small woman. She's just having troubles. I could take yeah. it. And I guess like he, from <laughs> like all accounts, down. well, from all accounts from like his family and stuff, he was just like a very like genuine, generous guy. And like, was always like taking people in to help them out and kind of just like yeah. thought the best of people. So he was yeah, like, well, it's and fine. as a paramedic, he's probably like, I can, I can handle it. Like, I can kind of see what's going on and kind of like, you know, prepare myself or right. Yeah, I've like seen he, it all. So exactly. Yeah. So like the following morning, so like she spends the night, and that the next morning, still don't leave your friends alone in these situations. He, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Even if they say they're fine, just more just, backup. Yeah, invite um, more people over. <laughs> so like I said, Glenn's brother worked in a hospital. So that morning mm-hmm. he called his brother and explained the situation with Sabina and asked if he could find out any information. And the brother was able to find out what hospital she was at. Okay. Um, but. Oh. Uh, so some sources said around noon and other sources said like in the evening, but like mm-hmm. sometime between 12 and 8 p.m., Glenn was making some food for him and Sabina, and he was like, oh, I, the most British thing ever, I'm out of tea bags. I need to go to my neighbor and ask if I can get some tea bags. So right. he, like, stepped outside, and his neighbor was washing his van or his bus or whatever it was. And he was like, hey, can I get some tea? Hello, ran out of tea then. And he was like, right, right, get some tea. <laughs> and so he, like, popped in, gave him the tea, and then he went back to, like, washing his van, and he said... Uh, less than a minute after Glenn went into his house with the tea bags, he came back out, staggering outside, <gasps> bleeding. And he told, he said, oh. she, she stabbed me. And then I guess the, the neighbor was like, what? Like, that's crazy. What the fuck? Like, I'm, he called 999. Yeah. And he was like, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, but he was not fine. And his. No. His last words to Frank were, look after my dog for me. She had stabbed him five times with (gasps) a kitchen knife. Oh, my God. And Frank called the police and Sabina ran away. This is so sad. Take care of my dog. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's like the worst. Uh, Um. So then, like, she's running down the road, and a man named Josh Greatage uh, spotted her as he was driving past, and he said, okay, this is even weirder, that she was, she was, like, running down the road Uh with a hammer, and she was hitting herself in the head (gasps) at regular intervals as she was, like, walking down the street, bashing herself in the head. He said he could see blood coming from her head and that her hair was matted where the blood was. So he just like, he said he got tunnel vision. He pulled over. He got out of the car and tried to like grab the hammer from her. Uh, uh -uh. And she hit him in the back of the head with something really hard. (gasps) Um, Apparently she had a roof tile in her pocket. What? Yes. Yes. I know. What? I don't know. But she had gotten this hammer and this roof tile from Glenn's house. And but by the time like he had gotten her and then he got hit in the head, 
the police were, uh, like, on on their on hot pursuit, right mm-hmm. on their tail. So he like you know gets bashed in the head and is like, ah, oh, god, uh, and all these police this is and paramedics. The fucking story. Start chasing her, and she runs to a bridge. The bridge is about oh god forty feet high, or. 12.19200 meters high. For everyone else in the world. <laughs> yes, which is basically about four stories high. Fuck. And it's it's just like a, an overpass to like yeah. a, a freeway basically underneath it. So she jumped from the top of this bridge onto the A50 highway. Four stories down, she broke both her ankles and fractured her skull. And she fucking survived that Shut- too. Uh, what the fuck? After she'd been like whacking herself in the head, then she jumps four stories and fucking survives. After fucking getting hit by a car, getting hit by a car, bashing her head in, and then jumping off a bridge. What the fuck? So she was arrested for the murder, and while recovering at... I feel like this is kind of a weird thing, but... You know how when people get into car accidents when they're drunk, they like mm. come out okay because they don't tense up or anything? Yeah. Like I feel like this shows like she's not connected with reality because clearly she's surviving all these things. She's not like really there like tensing up to like brace herself for the fall. She's just kind of like, whoa, whatever. And then she like survives and shit. Like I feel like this just shows like how disconnected she is from like what's happening. What's funny, because there's, like, actually all these, like, conspiracy theories about this case, about mm-hmm. how, like, maybe they're not real. Like, maybe they're, like, there's a certain type of humans that, like, are indestructible and live for, like, thousands of years and, like, never age or whatever. Or that they're, like, clones and that, like, the government was trying to harvest their organs and that's why they're afraid. <laughs> like, because they really were clones that were, like, made for someone to, like, have uh-huh. their organs. It, like, there's a lot of... Really fun conspiracy theories to go down if you're ever needing that. I mean, I just, I feel like, I just feel like they're, like, totally out of touch with, with, like, this yeah. shared reality. Yeah, it's definitely some kind of psychotic break. Yeah. So, June 9th, she was arrested while she was recovering at the University Hospital of North Staffordshire. Um, she was discharged from the hospital September 11th, so she was there for a few months and she was discharged while she was still in a wheelchair. And then Just she was on taken... her own. No, she was taken into custody because okay. she was arrested. <laughs> God. Just oh, pushed right. her into some traffic. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. On your own, man, you she go... murdered someone and then also jumped into traffic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. They're like, you'll be fine. Yo, it's time served in the hospital. It's totally cool. <laughs> Just yeah. wander around our town in a wheelchair now. It's fine. At least now you have wheels you can go on the motorway. Well, you'll be a little easier to catch, too. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I don't Maybe know. Maybe you'll just, she like, fly all of a sudden. Superhuman strength. So, in the meantime, Ursula was still in the hospital, and then she was released from the hospital the same time, around the same time. Oh, they didn't learn from the sister situation? They're just like, oh, it's fine. Well, oddly, Ursula, she went, she like went back to Sweden. She went to Sweden, Uh I'm assuming to like be with some family or whatever while she recovered a little bit more. And then she just went back to the United States and like nothing has been heard from her, you know, since. No 
no kind of craziness. Like all her whole thing was just getting hit by the truck and that was it. And then she recovered and went back to her normal life, apparently. What? And yeah. Yeah. The did only she... like the only thing did... that they, that anyone found out about her now is that she belongs. She's a member of the Sacred Heart Church in Bellevue, Washington. I mean, that's that just kind of proves that she's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, trade one, one insanity for the other. Did no one ever interview her to be like, what the they fuck? They can't find her. or Well, they found her after they figured out that she was at the Catholic Church. But before that, they couldn't find any information about her. And they, what like, the they fuck? both, they, like, refused to talk. They will not talk about what happened. Okay, so <laughs> then what happens with the other one? So Sabina's trial took a whole year to begin. Jesus. Because there were reportedly problems getting her medical records from Sweden. For some reason, they could not get her, like, psychiatric evaluations or medical records or anything from, I don't know. I don't know if she didn't have medical records or what the deal was, but Mm -hmm. all accounts say that they, like, found it impossible to get her medical records from Sweden. I mean, maybe Sweden's just really, like, respectful of their citizens and kind of like, we don't share that maybe but you would but you would think it's like kind of pertinent to her case to like well i'm sure i mean because even here where you have to like get a warrant or whatever to get people's like medical records yeah legally well i'm sure like since you're going from england where she doesn't even live to like sweden but then ireland is where she lives so i'm sure there's like some jurisdictional like weirdness and kind of like could have been could have been just a bunch of hoops you have to jump through to get those records were they even so, helpful? Did they? They didn't. I don't think they even got the records. Oh, my God. Um, so, like, some psychiatrist evaluated Sabina and said that she, Finally. Was, suf- she was suffering from delusions, and yeah. uh, which she believed to be true and that dictated well, her yeah. behavior. And then the court also heard that she suffered from a rare psychiatric disorder that made her hear voices but could not interpret what they said. Weird. The prosecution and defense both claim that Sabina was insane at the time of killing, though not at the time of trial. So they were like, she's totally fine now. She was insane during the like motorway thing and the killing, but she's totally got a grasp on reality now. That concussion really just kind (laughs) of knocked her back. I don't know. The, so the Uh-oh. defense the defense side claimed that Sabina was a secondary sufferer of folia du, which I talked about last time. In yeah, the, the twin thing. sisters. I mean, they're which not is twins. Sorry. Flinch for a madness of two. Okay. But okay, they say that she was the secondary sufferer because, like, because Ursula was the first one to jump into traffic. But really, if you look at the video, Sabina was the first one to get hit by the car jumping into traffic. And then, like, before the lorry hit Ursula. And then, like, after Ursula got hit once, she didn't exhibit any other signs that she was still suffering. But, like, Sabina was the one who, you know, went off. screaming and stuff. Crazy. And then, like, jumped, you know, murdered someone and then jumped off a bridge. It's like she wasn't well, even Well, I mean, the defense the attorneys person, have to, like, yeah, do what they can. As, yeah. Unless so. maybe they knew more, maybe, like, the beginning, Ursula coming to town kind of, like, triggered everything. Like, maybe she was the first one to be like, we need to get out of here. And the other one's like, yeah, fuck, we got to get out. 
Yeah, because there's like no, not really any information. It's hard to tell. But I was like, I don't know. It made me think like what what they knew mm-hmm. to make them believe that Ursula was like the instigator or the one that was suffering the delusions first, and then Sabina just latched onto that. Well, I bet it could just be like her coming from the states and everything was like okay until she was like, "We gotta go." And then the other oh, I mean, like, Sabina yeah. did have like a partner and two kids during that time, and. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Ursula's living situation was. And not to say that having a partner and two kids makes you more normal than not having that. Right, but right. It seemed like she could keep it together enough to, I mean, I don't know what the kid's situation was like. I, I shouldn't say that they had a normal life or anything. Well, clearly the partner's not coming together. So who knows what's happening there? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And then the prosecution's diagnosis was that she had an acute polymorphic psychotic disorder known as Buffet de Lyon. Oh, another or, French one? Uh, or a puff of madness. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, she just had a puff of madness and a then puff. it dissipated. It was fine. Yeah, um, that's basically what it is. Like, I mean, basically I feel like out it was nowhere... more than like a puff, but... Uh, <laughs> Both conditions, the folie du and the buffet de Lyon, are very rare. And yeah, because I feel like a puff of madness is actually stemming from something else. Like I, yeah. But here's I the thing: I don't think people just These... like get a puff of madness and then they're like fine. Okay, but here's the thing: these psychiatrists who came up with these evaluations never mm-hmm. actually talked to Sabina or Ursula. They yeah. interpreted all this from the video of the traffic uh, incident. Yeah, I don't think that's the way to do it. So Why is no one talking knows? to them? I do- Why is well, no one they evaluating ref- they them? They refuse to talk to anyone, basically. <sighs> On September 2nd, 2009, she pled guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility. She gave no explanation of what happened and answered every question with no comment. Okay. Sabina received five years to be served at Bronzefield Women's Prison, where she turned to Christianity. Five Why years from murder. Why is she not in a psychiatric hospital? Yep. Why indeed? Like, I feel like, okay, fi- like five years for manslaughter or whatever, I get it, because it's like an accident, But and you were like, you know, uh, not... Yeah, you were having a psychotic episode. But instead of going to a prison... How about you get help for that psychotic episode and it's like your sentence is dictated by you getting help and actually participating in your own help. Huh. That would make sense, but uh, you know, yeah. alas. <laughs> alas, they set her alas. fucking free after like running into traffic a bunch of times and fighting and then off like murdering someone. And then she murders someone after they were like, Oh, time totally served. Fine. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So Justice Saunders concluded that Sabina had a low level of culpability for her actions. He said, I understand that this sentence will seem entirely inadequate to the relatives of the deceased. However, I have sentenced on the basis that the reason for the killing was the mental illness and therefore the culpability of the defendant is low and therefore the sentence I have passed is designed to protect the public. It is not designed to reflect the grief of the relatives that the relatives have suffered or to measure the value of Mr. Holland's head's life. Right. No sentence that I could pass could do that. It is a sentence which I hope fairly measures a truly tragic event. Sabina was suffering from delusions, which she believed to be true and they dictated her behavior. It is not one of those cases where the defendant could have done something to avoid the onset. 
having already spent 439 days in custody before sentencing. This left her eligible for release in 2011. Like, I, I get what he's saying. I mean, that's just, like, a horrible situation where yeah. a good person was murdered trying to do a good thing, and that's super horrible. And but like you said, she, had the had the police done something and got her psychiatric help, she wouldn't it. have died. He wouldn't yeah, have been in that situation. Thing. Like, I understand that she had, she was, like, not in her right mind when she did it. But, yeah, that's the whole thing is it could have been prevented had they actually held on to her, evaluated mm-hmm. her, checked her into a hospital. Like, I feel like there's culpability there. Yeah. that will, So Glenn's family brought that up. And The fact that wonder- the police, like, stopped her and, like, watched her multiple times and they're just like, well, she can talk to us, so it's fine. Well, yeah. They wondered why they, they were released after apparently trying to commit suicide by running into traffic. And know? causing other people... Like, they could have mm-hmm. killed other people by doing that. Definitely. You know, by trying to kill themselves Definitely. in traffic. Like, yeah. what? How is that? <sighs> and, um, like, fighting off police and just, like, what she was screaming. Mm-hmm. Can't you realize? Like Something's not right. They're not yeah. in this world. She keeps asking for police and we're like, we're right here. Yeah. 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 Mm. Glenn's brother, Gary, was critical of the justice system, which he viewed as enabling the murder, stating, We don't hold her responsible, the same as we don't blame a rabid dog for biting someone. She is ill and, to a large degree, not responsible for her actions. But her mental disorder should have been recognized much earlier. Yes. I I do question the criminal justice system for allowing somebody like this to be let out when she is capable of committing such a crime. Her mental condition should have been properly assessed after what she did on the motorway and the experiences yeah. the police had. Her mental disorder should have been picked up prior her mental disorder should have been picked up prior to her being let out to the community. Glenn saw Erickson Sabina in yeah. distress and was just trying to help. He wasn't slow in coming forward to help someone in distress. It was in his nature. He was trying to help. He would help anybody. If he saw a fight in the street and a guy was losing, he would help. That's so Sabina, so Sabina was released in 2011 and by all accounts moved back to Ireland and both women have been completely out of the public eye and haven't gotten into any trouble since then. So what the fuck? <laughs> I... <laughs> what? I hate I just, this case because there's, like, no, like, real tangible answers. Well, but. I think, I don't think it was, like, a puff of madness. I think they actually <laughs> had some kind of, like, form of schizophrenia or something where, I mean, if you're hearing voices and you're having delusions and you're, yeah. like, super paranoid, I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like, some, like, severe form of some kind of, like, schizophrenia or something. And yeah, maybe it didn't hit them until later in life, which is also like terrifying. Or maybe they did have like some mild symptoms, you know, but then when they got together, they just kind of like amped it up with each other where they're like, oh my God, you hear that voice too? Or, you know, whatever. They have like a shared delusion maybe. I mean, they thought someone was chasing them, like. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. Salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows 
right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components, the person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind, they're all kinds of mixed up, there's no focus, they're disorganized. So I think that this is like a good case for a scrambled egg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something was not right, and I don't think that they, they didn't plan any of this. It seemed like it was all very sporadic and very, like... Yeah, know. like, maybe they were maybe they were both having, like, symptoms, but they were, like, pretty mild until they got together and then spent some time together and then, like, amped each other up mm-hmm. and then just had, like, a full-blown psychotic episode. Yeah, I think that's... Where the one got to recover in the hospital because her legs were, like, fucking broken. And didn't have the influence And got stabilized. And the other one was just, like, still in her episode and wasn't intervened with, like, at all. Right. And then she's let out on the street to, like... Like, she's not from there. She doesn't know anyone there. Where is she supposed to go? I just don't understand that at all. Like, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. How are you just going to let her go? Uh, I don't know. Obviously, in hindsight, the police were like, yeah, we probably should have done something about that. But it's like, you know, like I said, they were they were not prepared for any kind of thing. Like they had never experienced anything like that. Obviously. Yeah. But then you like ask someone else for help. You know, you call like a bigger police department and you're like, hey, what do we do here? You call the hospital and you're like, hey, something's not right. Like you ask for help. Hindsight. You know, just like let her go. Yeah. I mean, they definitely should have done something. And then I don't understand. Do they not have like psychiatric hospitals? Like, why is she going to prison? Why isn't she getting help? Maybe maybe their prisons are like more. I think that geared for like helping psychological. I think that what I read that that when she was in prison, she was getting like therapy and stuff. So I'm sure. But if she's not even. I don't know. I don't I don't know. Well, and then, but we don't know what she said to her therapist that's, like, privileged information, you know? Yeah. She could have told her therapist everything, but, like, unless it was, you know, she's already charged with the murder, so it's not like she can be like, oh, she murdered someone, I gotta tell someone. It's like, obviously, you're here for the murder, so we know about that, and we know that you you guys were, like, acting out of sorts that day, so we know all of this, so, like, whatever drove you to do it on, in your mind, I don't have to tell anyone. I'm not, like, mandated to report that to anyone. Right. right? You'd think that, I mean, hopefully she got, like, diagnosed with something and then could, like, get follow-up treatment or, I don't Well, I mean, it, it seems like since neither one of them has been back in the public eye or has How had crazy. any kind of... I wonder if they, like, talk to each other still or, like, right? what's going on there? It's like they there? just got together and then that happened, but, like, when they were apart, everything was fine. What? That was like a mind fuck. What? I know. <laughs> I know. It's God. crazy. Like you, you should watch the video if you have a chance. It's insane to see. Like she just literally, they both just run straight into traffic. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I just. Oh my god. And aren't the French so romantic? They just have like a puff of madness. A puff of madness. <laughs> <laughs> or we could have a madness. They have like for all two. the weird diseases. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all get a puff of madness occasionally. I mean, I think it sounds better than like disassociative di- identity disorder or something. 
Oh, what was that one? Well, it, it sounds called? less um, treatable. So I don't <laughs> it's just a puff. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, speaking of, did you know that Munchausen's has a new name? Has a different name? No. Yeah, it's called like some kind. It's like some kind of shit. I forgot what it's called, but it has a different name now. And Munchausen's by proxy has a different name, obviously. Oh yeah, the puff of madness is polymorphic psychotic disorder. I like a puff. <laughs> so other people ha- have recognized it too. Yeah, yeah. You just get a touch a of madness, and like then you're, you're totally fine. normal, and then like <sighs> madness, and then it's gone. I mean, that's kind of terrifying to think that that's like a recognized. <laughs> but like I said, it's that illness? and folia do are extremely, extremely rare. Yeah, because I feel like. I feel like with the Puff of Madness one, the polymorphic, mm-hmm. I feel like there's probably some, like, precursor. Like, I feel like there's some kind of, like, initiating event, but I guess maybe you not. Think? I don't know. I don't know. Wow. What, there the was human like a, mind is, like, a trip. There was a, I think he was a psychiatrist or something on the documentary, and he was, basically, he said, like, in all his, like, 20-plus years of being a psychiatrist... He's yeah. only experienced, I think he's experienced folia do once, and he never experienced a puff of madness before. So that's how rare it is. Yeah, I'm struggling with the puff of madness one, but the buffet de Lyon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm struggling with the words and I'm struggling with the concept behind it. Just, I guess just because like my mind wants to rationalize everything. So I want to be like, you know, there's an underlying illness going on or Mm -hmm. there's like, because that's just terrifying to think that you could just be like spending time with someone and then all of a sudden they're in like whatever, whatever episode and then it's done. But that's. You know, they got all that just from watching the video. They didn't even talk to these people. And who knows what their their yeah. history is like. And who knows no, what, No, I feel like, like they actually... had stuff going on before that. Because it the other part that's like weird it. to me is that, like... I mean, they didn't even talk to, like, the family. Because the brother being like, oh, they thought that they were being chased. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you don't know if it's, like, the brother shares that... Right. ...delusion. Or if, he, if they, like, called him and talked to him. Like, when would they have told him this? And then if they did tell him this, then it's kind of like he didn't report it as, like, weird, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, I need you to do, like, a welfare check on my sisters. They think someone's chasing them. And that's kind of like, you know, it seems like paranoia or delusion or something happening. Like, he's just like, oh, this is what they thought. And that's, like, normal in my world. Like, there's so many questions. Like, is there and, something going on in that family? Right. Like, the and partner like didn't they even pre- come to, like, get her? Was there no. something going on with them? Like... And it seemed like they were prepared to like run away or something with like a thousand pounds and then like their laptop. What are they gonna do with like a million phones? phones. And who knows? Yeah. So how long were they preparing for it? Like. Mm Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't. How long was this puff? Yeah, I don't think they had the puff. I think they had like mental illness that was going Uh on for like a while. And then and them like, getting together. Like who knows? Maybe the one came from the U.S. because of it. And they're like, maybe. we need to be together during this time. Or who maybe knows, to... maybe when they got together, like, they instantly connected and they were like... And who knows what their plan was, because nobody even knew why they were trying to get to London in the first place. Yeah. There, There is, like, one, you know, Reddit source that I saw mentioned that, like, meth might have been involved. But they both tested clean, but that doesn't really right. mean anything since, like, it only stays in your system for, like, you know, 24 hours or whatever. Probably not even that long. 
don't if, know. I, I don't know. I know it's like out of your well, system pretty fast. Well, because that's what I kind of thought that like I kind of thought like maybe some kind of like initiating event like some kind of drug yeah. or something because mm-hmm. it sounded like a really bad trip <laughs> if they're like running through traffic and shit like well and that would like account the for them real just basic yeah thinking like being super paranoid and then being able like you said when you're drunk and you get in an accident you don't you don't tense up so you're not hurt as much so maybe like being on drugs or being but wouldn't on they meth, found then, the drugs on them probably, and then the other yeah. one like the other one yeah. stabbing the guy like yeah. i doubt that she found drugs in that small town where she doesn't know anyone right you know so, so i don't i don't and it was only that. just that one like it wasn't even a real source it was just like a you know people throwing out theories and someone right. said that they had heard that like the sisters had been into meth or at least one of them was um but that was you know hasn't I been mean, proven maybe, but the thing the thing about that is like as far as I know, when smoking meth, it takes a l- it takes like at least a few days of being up to like get a psychotic um, like episode from it. You don't like smoke it and then like like break right. unless you have some underlying mental health issues right. that that are triggered by it. So I don't right. think that and a them lot just like the... smoking meth like a couple of times together would no. like cause them to do that unless they and had like, you like said, some. From... From my understanding, the, like, side effects, the, like, known side effects of meth are caused because of not sleeping and, like, yeah. not eating properly and not about actually the drug. Right. Unless but you have something have, going on. Right. Exactly. Right. So. Which I'd be I less know. inclined to think that it was, like, a drug. I feel like, I feel like it was something like schizophrenia happening and then they were able to, like, manage on their own and then something happen because mm-hmm. with with that disease like everything can be like you know you can manage and manage and manage and then all of a sudden who knows you just like get set off or like you think that someone's after you or whatever and then you're just in like fight or flight and you're just like going with it and then i wonder because they were twins i mean i have no idea i'm just you know talking on my ass right now but if you're sharing a womb with someone would you be like would you both be like predisposed the same to a certain mental illness especially well, if you're like identical question. twins cuz your genetics right, would be exactly question. the same so how would you well, be Well I like, think that's why they do like a lot of testing on twins but some twins come out like one will have like some kind of well especially sure. like with triplets one will come out with some kind of um like different like either mental health issue or like ability issue or something because they didn't get the same they got like less of something than the other ones did or you know i don't know it's fucking trippy it's interesting yeah it's really fucking trippy (laughs) but that's why they needed to talk to the family to see if any of the siblings had anything or the the parents or grandparents Mm -hmm. had any like psychological things happening or it's crazy because after reading this i found a couple more cases of twins like exhibiting like psychosis together at the same time and uh, i mean i'm sure it's rare but it's like it does happen well they say that like twins have that twin think thing right right where you are very close but if something's happening to your twin and you're like far apart you can kind of like sense that something i mean i feel like a lot of parent like a lot of mothers have that with their children where they can just like sense that something's wrong because you know Uh, you're like so close for that long yeah yeah oh and then yeah and then i just feel like with mental illness 
Like if I'm having like an anxiety episode and then someone uh-huh. feeds into it, it just gets worse, you know? Yes. And then you're like, oh my God, they're thinking it too. Like, oh my God, this is like really, really bad. Yeah. And then it, and then like it gets goes, worse and worse Then and it goes from it anxiety to panic attack. Right. Right. And it just like snowballs pretty quickly and pretty easily. So I feel like with maybe like other mental illnesses, that kind of thing happens where you're like, oh, my God, you mm-hmm. think someone's after us. I think someone's after us. Someone's definitely fucking after us. We need to get the fuck out. Like, let's get all the things that we need. And who would you trust more than your twin, identical twin sister? Like, to yeah, be, uh, like you're not going to lie to me. So if you think this, then it right. must be happening. And I've been right. noticing things, too. Yeah. Well, do you know where that where they're planning on going on the coach? To London. And then from there, I wonder. I don't know. Uh, they just, the coach was headed to London and that's what they bought the ticket for. So don't I know what they what were going to maybe do in London. Maybe they're going to go visit the queen or something. Or just like disappear or. I don't know. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. That's bizarre. <laughs> right. <laughs> That poor man and his dog. I know. I know. He was just trying to help. I think the neighbor did end up taking care of the dog. Sad. That's horrible. But then also, like, what the fuck, police? Like, what are you doing? It's usually, like, what the fuck, police, I think. (laughs) It's, like, more training. Just give them all the training they need. They need more training. They need less weapons and more training. Uh, wow. Just wow. Just wow. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I'm just like in shock by that. That was just quite the tale. Horrible. Yeah, like it sounds like it's made up, made up or out of some kind of sci-fi movie where they're imposters yeah. and they're like trying to escape. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they yeah. thought that they were, kind of. <laughs> in their head, maybe. Well, in their head, everyone else was the imposter. Right. But Ugh, if they are so clones, awful. if they were clones, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. They're twins. You would want a couple clones of you so that you can, you know, harvest their organs when you need transplants and stuff. Right. So, mm. could be. <laughs> Don't know, since they won't tell us. Oh, my God. Well, it's just awful. That's so sad. <laughs> that whole story is so sad. Yeah. Once again, rife with mental illness that is not being helped. Yeah. Yeah. If we could get mental illness help, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. That'd be great. That is just <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> god i just feel like that's the root of a lot of our issues yeah 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 yeah. gotta normalize mental health and uh get it for everyone then i think it would eliminate a lot of the issues uh yeah let's get on that okay so now i'm gonna tell you my tragic horrible story way to bring it way down (laughs) What? You can't <laughs> wait out. I'm just continuing on. <laughs> we got that fall I do thing. You like do something and then I just do it too. Fall I do. Fall I do. Fall I do. Okay, so I got my information from Crime Watch Daily, Wikipedia, and Texas Monthly. Ooh. 
Irene Garza, 25, told her family that she was going to Sacred Heart Church. Whoa. To, I know. It gets Whoa. weird. Oh, <laughs> both not of ours had Sacred Heart Church. Oh, that's so fucking weird. Yeah, because she yeah. went to Sacred Heart. That's right. Oh, okay. I mean, probably not that weird. They're probably like extremely common. But I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Sacred Heart Church to confession. And then she'd be home right after that. So it was the day before Easter Sunday, April 16th, 1960. Mm. She was still living with her parents at the time. And she borrowed the family car around 630 to drive the 12 blocks to church. Oh, I was just thinking people go to confession after they've had like the first Don't confession. Don't you remember? We had to go like like once a month or whatever after we what? got confirmation. I don't remember yeah. that at all. I just remember. Go- yeah, because we'd like walk to church and me and Arden would decide like what we were going to confess. <laughs> and then because we didn't do anything wrong. So we'd be like, what are you going to confess this month? And then it'd be like, well, OK, I'm going to say that I talked back to my dad. Oh, OK, that's good. I'm going to say I talked back to my mom. Oh, OK, cool. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to say that I was mean to my sibling. Oh, that's really good. I'm going to say that, too. Or like try to like decide what we're gonna no. say in confessions it's like i have nothing to fucking confess i don't remember it being that often yeah maybe it wasn't once a month but we definitely did it like a couple times a year at school we had to i remember like coming up with things on the way to church i mean i remember decide, coming like, up what on we things confessing. for your first reconciliation or whatever it's called i remember doing it more than that though and then you had to do it for confirmation. Well, I guess it is reconciliation. Maybe that was it. No, yeah. I remember really coming up with shit. Well, there though. were practice rounds. I remember for reconciliation, <laughs> we had to practice going Dude, and talking to the priest. Okay, our one practice round, they're like, well, let's just do it right now because we're all here. So it turned from a practice into like actual reconciliation for us. And we're like, uh, oh, fuck. Did you have to do it? Like, we didn't even get to do it in the cool little, like, room where you're, you don't no, see No, I the never priest. was in a confessional. Never. No, we, we had were to go like in the in back a, room. Yeah, and sit, like, yeah, across from the face. priest. Oh! Face to fucking face. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you're like, oh. You're, like, six years old. Like, oh, I was, like, really bad. I didn't go to bed at my bedtime. And oh, one well, time it was, I spilled I think my we did milk. Ours in second. No, yeah. you did yours in second grade. I think we did ours in fourth grade no because communion was in second grade and then for us they pushed it back because i think it was too much in one year i don't know i had a reconciliation and communion in second grade and then confirmation in sixth grade yeah confirmation was sixth grade but i don't i feel like i swear we did it later on i think and then you have to like memorize the whole like the whole prayer thing and the whole like you know all the oh god whatever and i was like so stressed out and then it was like father o'hara or father sylvester i think were our two or maybe it's like a visiting father or something and i wanted to get father o'hara because he's like super chill and if you like messed up he'd just be like yeah whatever but i got the other one (laughs) that like was like really rigid with it i was like oh fuck oh fuck and then other people went to father o'hara and they like come out laughing and they'd be like oh yeah so great and then i was like oh god I was like, please, please, please. And then they sent me to the other one. I was like, fuck, I don't know the prayer and stuff. I don't know. No, you then. I thought this was just a practice. Wait, you think you had reconciliation in fourth grade? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think ours got pushed back because I think it was like a lot. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You're, you know, you have more to confess as a nine-year-old as opposed to like a seven-year-old. Well, and then I remember coming home and being like, yeah, we did our first reconciliation. And mom and dad being like, no, you didn't. That was just a practice. I was like, no, no, we did it. And they're like what they didn't even like let us know that it was happening and i was like no i'm pretty sure we did it like we went to the priest and they were like okay you're all like reconciled or whatever the fuck i don't know we got and our like, little what? badge 
got a badge that says we talked to God today and he says it's all good. But if we got a badge, that'd be cool. We didn't get shit for it. No, just a bunch of Hail Marys and our fathers. Yeah, a lot. And then it's like (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like come back every fucking week and we'll do this all over again. Like, fuck that. I'm not kneeling for hours because of you guys saying I did some shit wrong. Whatever. Anyway, yeah, people would do confession and Oh man, okay. uh, I just can't imagine like deciding at 25 to get in my car or borrow my parents' car to drive down to the church to confess. Yeah, well, she really, she really liked Catholicism and like right. really liked her church and all that. And I know I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it'd be more fun if we actually got to do. <laughs> oh, and then it was like I remember like one time we had confession and. You could either choose to, like, sit in front of the priest or you could, like, choose to, like, kneel behind the priest. They had, like, the little kneelers or whatever. Uh But then you had to, like, walk in front of him (laughs) to go behind him and kneel so he'd still know who it was. And he has his little, like, notebook and he's like, oh, here goes Angela. (laughs) See what she's got to confess today. I was like, what is the point of this? Like, what the fuck? And then you were, like, doing it in front of the school, basically, so people could tell if you went behind or if you went, like, you were in, like, the little rectory or whatever, but, like, everyone could see. So I was like, so then they're like, oh, you got, like, a lot to hide if you're going behind the priest. It was just like... It's just, like, so on display for everyone. I was, like, so fucked up. I don't... Anyway. (laughs) Okay, away from our trauma and back to her. (laughs) Good segue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so then she she goes at 6.30, and then it's, like, the hours are going by, and she... She's still not home. At first, her parents thought, like, maybe she got caught up there and was, like, talking to people and then decided to stay for midnight mass, maybe, because it's, like, you know, Easter Sunday coming up. Uh, But then, like, 3 a.m. came, and Mm -hmm. she still wasn't home. And they're like, okay, well, if she'd stayed for midnight mass, she'd be be here by now. Like, this isn't like her. So they started to worry. So her parents are Nicholas and Josefina. They went to McAllen Police Department to report her missing. Mm-hmm. Irene was born on November 15th, 1934. Her parents owned a dry cleaning business in McAllen, Texas, which is on the South Texas border. Mm-hmm. Her parents' business did really well, and then they were able to move to an affluent neighborhood. So I think that her parents were from Mexico originally. Mm-hmm. So, like, they started out in, like, the not-so-nice part of town where, like, a lot of... um probably like immigrants lived at the time Mm -hmm. but then she was able to go to like uh like a nice high school because they're able to move okay so their parents did the her parents did well they moved to an affluent neighborhood she went to mcellen high school which was a really nice high school but it was also like primarily white people there so Mm -hmm. she was one of few people of like mexican descent Mm -hmm. who went there uh, and she was the only person who, like, wasn't white, who was Mexican-American, mm-hmm. to become a twirler and head drum majorette. Ooh, a twirler. Are those the ones with the batons? Yeah, I think so. She was also crowned the 1958 Miss All South Texas Sweetheart. Wow. And was a homecoming queen at Pan American College. Wow. That's kind of... Everyone said that wow. she was, like, 
gorgeous. She was just like a really beautiful, beautiful person. Whenever she like came in a room, people would like notice because she was just like mm. beautiful. And the other part, like I don't, I mean, she had like lighter skin, so I feel like she was oh. able to kind of like assimilate easier. Yeah, right. Into like that white high school, and they like accepted her because she was like lighter skinned and really beautiful and wow, Texas, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I was about to give so, them props, but you brought it right down, right back down. Nope, no props. I'm sorry. No props. <laughs> sorry. Take yeah, I wouldn't give them. Nope. Yeah, I wouldn't give them such nope. props, but whatever. So <laughs> when she went missing, she was a second grade teacher. Oh. She taught like poor students uh-huh. at an elementary school on the south side of McGillen's, like where she came from originally. Okay. She went back to teach the kids there. Give them back to her community. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I read somewhere, I don't think I included it, but um, that she spent her first paycheck getting her students like books and shoes wow. and coats and things because she just like, so really she's loved an her all around good person. <laughs> just like a really great person. So, in a letter that she wrote to a friend earlier in the month before she disappeared, Irene said that she had made friends that year and was happier than she'd ever been. She said that she was dating two men and wasn't completely over her ex-boyfriend still, but that she hoped one day she'd be over him. She said that she loved her job and that it was super fulfilling, and she had recently become secretary of her PTA, Parent Teacher Association, and it was super cute because she was like, I know it might not sound like a lot, but for me, it's like, it's really meaningful because it means that I'm overcoming my shyness and becoming more confident. Oh, so she's working on herself too. I guess she was like really shy. Yeah. Just like helping people and trying to help herself. That's Yeah. Like finding her place in the mm-hmm. world. She wrote, remember last time we talked, I told you I was afraid of death. Well, I think I'm cured. You Uh-oh. see, I've been going to communion and mass daily, and you can't imagine the courage and faith and happiness it has given me. Oh. Yeah. So that's why she'd, like, go to confession and all that, because, like, church was really helping her feel confident. And yeah. That's good. I mean, at least it's doing something good. it's helpful for yeah. her. Except for it's not good, and you'll find out why. Oh, no. I knew it. You tricked me. <laughs> Okay, so the night that she went missing, uh, she was seen at the church by several witnesses. Like I said, she was really beautiful, so she really she stood, stood out, out, and people always noticed her. Mm-hmm. They said that some people would go to certain services because they knew that she'd be there, like admirers. What? They That's knew that she'd be there, just like catch sight of her. <laughs> so one parishioner noticed that Irene made the sign of the cross as she entered the sanctuary. Another one saw her kneeling by herself in a pew on the fifth row. A third remembered Irene asking if she might edge in front of her in the long confession line because she was running late. Oh, wow. There's a, there's a line? <laughs> Damn, okay. I, I think it's something that people, like, so, like Do, back in the okay. day. Uh, yeah, I forgot that it's, like, what, 60s? The Catholics were, like, yeah. really Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, sh- also, like, Easter Sunday is the next day. They're like, oh, Don't you think fuck, that they would have, gotta... like, a, you know, take a number? So you're like, well, I'm number 64. I'll, I got a well, long way. Well, you would way. hope I'll they would, but they're really not. Go do my groceries. And That's probably part of your uh, penance or whatever, you standing in long yeah, lines forever. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. That's true. I'm surprised they didn't have like the kneelers around, like on the side of the walls. You'd have to kneel the whole time and fucking ruin your shins. That was so painful. <laughs> the signs of the cross took like three fucking hours, and you're kneeling the whole time. I remember going from like kne- from like knee to knee because I was like, "This is so painful. <laughs> this is torture for like a sixth grader." And you have fresh knees. Imagine old people doing it. 
Oh, that shin bone. Like, they just get, like, breaks in your shin bone oh, just by, like, no. kneeling for hours. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they were not padded, and they were not comfortable. I will say that. I remember okay, so there being a, a little padding. It wasn't enough to do the signs of the cross, the stations of the cross. That took forever. Do you remember doing that? That was fucking forever. Well, we yeah, did it there one was... time, I think, and then they're like, oh, we should do this more often. We were all like, no, <laughs> no. See, I've tried to block all this out, so I barely remember that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably best. So, so some recalled her draping a white lace veil over her head, while others said that she had stepped out of line as if turning to go, but no one ever saw her leave the church that night. Hmm. So a bunch of people saw her there. No one mm-hmm. saw her leave. The next morning, Easter Sunday, her car was still parked down the street from Sacred Heart. Mm-hmm. And Irene had never come home. Uh-oh. Looking at you, Jesus. <laughs> Number one suspect. It's <laughs> in your house. I mean, I he rose from the dead on Sunday. What was he doing? What was he doing? What is his mm-hmm. alibi? Mm-hmm. We know he was dead up until then. It's more, more and more suspicious every minute. Uh-huh. So on April 18th, a passerby named P.W. Miller happened upon a left shoe. Uh-oh. So this was two days after she was last seen. It was on an empty stretch of McCall Road where it was like two inches from the curb. Hmm. Irene's family confirmed that the shoe was the same one that she had been wearing to confession. Uh-oh. The trail of evidence continued north, scattered beside the road. 300 yards from the spot where the shoe had landed on the pavement, a fellow teacher, Alfredo Pee-wee Barrera. Was he like this little guy? I don't know. (laughs) He caught sight the following morning of what seemed to be a black patent leather purse lying in the middle of a field. Uh Uh-oh. It looked like it was thrown out of a window of a passing car. So Barrera was very smart and said Mm. that he he used a stick to pick it up so investigators could dust for fingerprints. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's patent leather, huh? Yeah, but none were found. Oh, uh, but inside were Irene's driver's license. I guess just her driver's license <laughs> was uh, Irene's driver's uh, license. Okay. <laughs> um, and then farther north, investigators came across a piece of white lace crumpled in the brush. Oh, the veil. Like her veil. Ugh. Mm-hmm. 70 members of the Hildago, Hildago, Hildalgo <laughs> County Sheriff's Posse. I was I like, why does that sound posse. so weird? <laughs> I know. Me too. Hidalgo County Sheriff's Posse. Many on horseback, because it's Texas, fanned out through the orange groves and mesquite thickets of East McCall Road in the days that followed to look for Irene. They come through the brush on foot and canvass the 32 square block area surrounding Sacred Heart going house to house. Skin divers. I don't know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) Dragged irrigation canals that fed off the Rio Grande. Rio Grande. What do they say? Rio Grande. I don't know. I think it depends on where you are, right? I guess so. The Rio Grande and two border patrol planes circled overhead. 
65 National Guardsmen were called out to assist wow. with what had become, at the time, one of the most extensive investigations in Valley history. Wow. I think it was the biggest, like, based on the number of people who helped, it was the biggest search at the time. Shit. So they're actually, like, really actively looking for this this young woman. Good. Detectives followed up on hundreds of leads, including the boats of tourists at the Highway Grill in a nearby town. I just love they touring that Highway Grill. Nothing like it. One tourist at the Highway Grill uh-huh. told a witness that he had killed Irene and warned her, saying, you are next. What? Yeah. He later admitted that he was drunk. He drank half a bottle of tequila uh. across the border and was only joking. I was only joking. I didn't mean I was going to kill you, kill you. Not like a funny joke. It's like... kind of like it's kind of like in the 60s when like sexual harassment was rampant and they're oh, like, man. I was just joking. Like I wasn't really like harassing you, making you feel uncomfortable. God, can't you take a joke? And I mean, like that s- still happens. Uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah, testing boundaries. Hold on to those boundaries. <laughs> totally okay, going to cut your head off. Just kidding. <laughs> I was just drunk. It's a really it's funny, a joke. funny joke. <laughs> you heard that joke about the I'm going to murder you? It's hilarious. I learned it like halfway through this tequila bottle. Isn't that funny? <laughs> knock, knock. Oh, who's there? I'm going to murder you. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Okay, then came what seemed to be a break in the case. A woman identifying herself as Irene called home and pleaded for help, claiming that she had been kidnapped and was being held in a motel room in the neighboring town of Hidalgo. Hidalgo. Dozens of police officers raced there only to discover it was a hoax. Why Uh. do people do this? That's infuriating. Her poor family. Like, what the fuck is wrong with people? It's fucked up. Super fucked up. On the Thursday following Easter, the McAllen Police Department received a call at 7.40 a.m. reporting that a woman's body was floating in the 2nd Street Canal across from Sears. Oh. A crowd gathered to watch as police detectives and sheriff's deputies used a tarp to lift Irene's body from the water. She was fully dressed except for her shoes and underwear, which were missing. Whoa. Her... Her lavender blouse was unbuttoned, and her petticoat had ballooned over her head. From the postmortem examination, medical examiners could tell that Irene had died of suffocation. She was raped while unconscious and beaten. Oh, my God. There was bruising over both of her eyes and to the right side of her face. Any physical evidence that might have identified the attacker, such as hair, blood, or semen, appeared to have washed away during the time that her body was in the water. Damn. The state of decomposition suggested that she had been dead for slightly fewer than four days, giving rise to speculation that she had been held captive for up to a day before she was killed. According to her death certificate, she had been raped while in a coma. Her brother-in-law, who positively identified her at the morgue that morning, was so horrified by the sight of her that he ran from the room. Yeah, yeah. And probably, like, threw up. Probably, like, completely. She was just in such a state. Ugh. This poor woman. Yeah. Yeah. Law enforcement 
officials questioned about 500 people across several Texas cities, including oh. known sex offenders and Irene Garza's family members, co-workers and ex-boyfriends. They carried out almost 50 polygraph examinations and offered a $2,500 reward for information about her death, which was larger than any amount of money previously offered in the Rio Grande Valley murder. Wow. Oh, in a Rio Grande Valley murder case. Uh-huh. Damn. Then a South Texas businessman posted a $10,000 like reward. Yeah, money. for information. Yeah, for any information. Ooh. So people are like wow. really trying to find out who, because she was just like, just so innocent. Yeah. She's just this poor thing. So there were no eyewitnesses. There were no fingerprints. There was no physical evidence that could tie a person to the crime. The only clue was a muddy shoe print. Which was spotted on the banks of the Second Street Canal, four blocks south of where Irene's body had surfaced. Ugh. So they thought like she was dropped there and like. But then it's like that, that's stream. like you know outdoor area. It could be anyone's shoe print. Well, it could, but that's like the only thing they had. Oh, and here's why they thought it was like related because mm-hmm. tangled inside the shoe print was a strand of her hair. Ah, uh, okay, so that connects them. There you go. So they thought that, like I said, that the killer had uh, dumped her body from a car Mm -hmm. there and then, you know, threw her into the water. And on the banks were tire tracks and a faint imprint of her petticoat. Oh, Like he had put her on the ground and then picked her up and threw her into the water. Wow. Okay. But the ground was so soaked with rain Mm -hmm. that they were unable to make out any details about the sole of the shoe. Or even its exact dimensions. They only could surmise that it was a men's size 8 to 11. Well, <laughs> that... <laughs> wow. Okay. So they Doesn't have nothing. It's just like common shoe sizes. <laughs> yeah. They have basically nothing. Oh, that's frustrating too because it's all wet so they can't take like castings or whatever. And No. And since he like stepped, it probably got like smushed, smushed too, mm-hmm. you know? So then it like... The foot probably moves, so then you can't, like, you can't tell how big the shoe is even. Not mm. even, like, that can narrow it down. Or, like, tire prints or anything. Fuck. There's just, like, nothing. However, behind the scenes, detectives had begun to focus their attention on one person. Hmm. He was a 27-year-old priest oh. named John Fight who had recently finished his seminary training in San Antonio. He struck parishioners as aloof and a bit of a loner. When he was once asked why he joined the priesthood, he said, I just wanted to give it a try. Oh, I don't think that that's something you just give a try to. I mean, uh, no, <laughs> you gotta be pretty committed. I mean, that's like a whole deal. You're changing your entire, it's not just a job you're trying. Mm-hmm. You got, you're changing your entire life. Well, most people talk about, you know, they heard like a calling. Yeah. Like called to it. Right. Or like or they're just always like such interested good Catholics. In it. Yeah. Or, or their parents like push them to or it. That. Or Yeah. That's kind of like a severe lifestyle choice just to give a try. Uh, yeah. Because you can't just like, you know, be a priest on the weekends and then go party it up. I mean, you can, I guess. I mean, I'm sure some do. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. So Father Fight was the last person to see Irene alive. Father Fight. He was the one, F-E-I-T. But yeah, yeah. Fight. Mm-hmm. 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 He took her last confession. So obviously he came under suspicion soon after her disappearance. Church members reported that Fight's confession line moved slowly that night and that he was away from the sanctuary several times, which is oh, weird. He just like put like a be back in 10 sign on the little confessional. Yeah. And, like <laughs> popping out. <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, when cops talked to him, they noticed that his story kept changing. Hmm. He initially denied hearing Irene's confession um, in the rectory. Okay. He said that Irene came to the rectory to discuss a question of conscience with him that he could not disclose. Mm. But then he sent her to the sanctuary to confess because he's like, no, I won't take it here at the rectory. You go ahead. Hmm. Uh, but in a later story, the priest said that he had heard her confession in the rectory, which was like really inappropriate. The other priests were like, we don't do that. That's like fucking weird after she so she told him that she didn't want to be overheard uh-huh. so he was like oh we'll just do it in the rectory then that's fine even though i mean just fucking in whisper box, in your box you know <laughs> whisper in the box <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know how soundproof those are that's actually a good point they're not it's at like, all they're i mean you can see they've got like screens on them back- that you can see through if you're on the inside. On the outside, though? No, no on the inside. Obviously, on the inside, they're not soundproof. It's like you're talking to no one. The priest is like, can you speak up, please? Can you yell? I can't hear you. These damn things are so soundproof. No. <laughs> Obviously not. You know, what they should do but, is you get some telephone booths, and then you could get in oh, and, like, make a phone call. Hello. Yeah, well, I mean, but this is how they could collect more money is, like, you have to pay to make your confession call. Ah, uh-huh. I mean, I'm really thinking here. Using yeah, my he's my business brain. Look, don't just pass around that collection <laughs> basket. Also, make them pay for their confessions. Yeah. We all know that God loves money and needs more of it, so He doesn't work for yeah. free. He uh-uh. don't work for free. Look at all the people that he's got to talk to all day every day. You think he, it's fun for him? You think he wants to do it it's all the like time? It's exhausting. He's like on 24/7. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just feel like if those confession boxes aren't soundproof like on the mm-hmm. outside and people are standing like close to them because it's just that curtain you know you go yeah. you like yeah. do the curtain or i'm sure some have doors no, they have, some have know. doors but they but it's like a mesh kind of i wouldn't know we never got to go in ours we had to go face to face in the rectory i mean we would that fucking room problem was probably because children are sticky and would have made the little boxes all sticky yeah i don't know if they use them though because like i said i remember the other time that we we did it in like some kind of alcove thing. We never got to go in the box. Do people go in the boxes? I think the same people go in the boxes as the ones that stick their tongues out for confession. <laughs> <laughs> or not confession, for uh, communion. communion. Yeah. They're like, no, no, you need to go in the box. I don't yeah. know what you're going to yeah. do. <laughs> stick their little dry tongue out so you have to put the cracker on it. Oh, that was so the worst. <laughs> so gross, so gross. So gross. I was like, these are frisbee shaped for a reason, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Frisbee it in there. Uh, You don't want it to go too far back. No, yeah, they'll choke. They're so fucking dry. Yeah, they're dry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so 
So, and then he was also, you know, how he was like absent often with his like be back in 10 minutes mm-hmm. sign. He explained that by saying he had broken his glasses. Mm-hmm. He would like play with his glasses nervously as he listened to confessions. And I guess he played a little too hard and they broke. So he like had to go back and like that's very fix them a strange. few times. I don't know. Like every yeah, like half hour he breaks them again. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, the tape is not like how it used to be. Maybe you leave your glasses out of the box. I tried, had to tape them, then I had to glue them, and then I had to, like, you know, it's not like you need to be looking at anyone, so just leave them out of the box. Also, like, how, how strongly are you fiddling with your glasses that you're like breaking them so i'm thinking like 1960s glasses are probably like pretty strong right? they built things to last back then so how stressful are these confessions yeah i don't know so fight said that he had driven back to the pastoral house to get another pair of glasses so he had to leave the rectory a few times i mean the um his confessional a few times And then when he arrived back at the house, he realized that he didn't have a key and that the door was locked. So he had to climb Uh, into like a second story window. I thought he was going to like go back to the church and then come back. He climbed. I don't know how, okay, he scaled <laughs> don't know how far the That's house fine. was where he was staying. Sort but yeah, he, sca- he like stacked some shit on top of each other <laughs> and had to like climb through the second floor window. Mm hmm. So while he was doing that, he got some scratches on his hands. Oh, ow. <laughs> yeah, from the brick. So uh. that, I mean, he had like, he was gone like a lot. And then he had scratches on his hands because his glasses broke and he had to climb. He had to scale a building. Okay. It's getting weird. And then I also heard, I don't know, like Crime Watch Daily had like a little video. And they said that he said that he got the scratches because he had to break through a window to get in. But then the police report said that he scratched it because he, uh, the brick was scratchy. I mean, uh, it depends on where on his hand he had the the cuts. But also, yeah, no, you're not going to punch a window through to break in. That doesn't make any sense. Well, he had to get his glasses. He had like a line building up. It was like very stressful. Girl, just get more tape. Tape the ones up you have. Wear them. <laughs> like you're confessing. It's not like you had to see things in detail. You're Can't you like, it. you know, send a nun? You know, the nuns do all the work anyway. Why don't yeah. you send her to get your glasses for you? Send a nun. Or make a call to the house and have someone like bring you. I don't know. Right. That's but he had to go climb suspicious. a window to get it. Yeah. What's even more suspicious is that a young woman came forward with her own encounter with John Fight. Uh-oh. 20-year-old Maria America Guerra, mm-hmm. she said that three weeks before Irene disappeared or was murdered, Uh-oh. she was at a different church in the area. She said that she noticed a young man with dark hair and horn-rimmed glasses Uh-oh. sitting alone in one of the back pews. Were they taped up? <laughs> no, this was before. Ah. This is before he fiddled and Oh, he didn't Oh, it was like a new fiddling thing. He wasn't a fiddler to begin with. Well, he was a fiddler, but he was like a an extreme case of fiddling ah, that night. Okay. All right. Yeah. So extreme that he broke his glasses. Mm. So he resembled a stranger she had seen late that afternoon who had watched her from his blue and white sedan. Ew. Creepy. She said, the thought it was the same man that I saw earlier entered my mind, but being in the house of God, I dismissed any thoughts of fear or foul play. Mm-mm. I went to the altar and knelt at the communion rail to pray my rosary. Mm-hmm. 
No sooner had she begun praying than she said the man grabbed her from behind and tried to put a rag over her (gasps) mouth. She screamed and fell backward onto the floor. Then he tried to cover her mouth with his hand and she bit down as hard as she could on his fingers until they started bleeding. Oh, good, good, good. Then he threw her to the wall, and then she ran out a side door of the church. She said, I was screaming and crying and yelling for help as I had feared for my life. Fuck. So she, so this was, like, obviously a time when the church is empty, and she just walked in there by herself, and, like, there's, like, no well, one yeah, there. Well, yeah, she wanted until... to just... She wanted to just pray and do her rosary. I mean, no one was there that saw any of this stuff. It was just like an empty church besides no, her and this dude. it was just her. Yeah, yeah. Just this creepy dude had been watching her earlier in the day. She said that she thought the man who had attacked her was a priest. She could not point to any specific proof that he was, but she said that he was wearing black pants, as priests usually did. Uh-huh. And then... She just had, like, this sense that he was a priest. And then she all she felt, like, really ashamed for saying that she thought it was a priest. Of course. Because, because like, you know, back in those days in Texas, like, the Catholic Church could do no, do no wrong. The priests were, like, above any suspicion. Yeah. So she just kept saying, like, that her original impression of the man was that he was a priest. That was just her impression. They're, like, they're it probably supposed wasn't, to be, but... like, men of God and, like supposed to you know yeah. they're not like do no wrong like they're yeah they're, they, they're representing all. god like they are the door yeah. like they they call up god on the phone every day and talk to him directly yeah they're the go-between so they can't be in that position that's like an ungodly thing like she must be no wrong. they don't have like ungodly thoughts or right. they don't you know they're not bad because people they're, not they're just like with not human things. they're above it all mm-hmm. so there was a rumor going around that John Fight was responsible, but local church leaders discouraged people from even considering it because he was a priest. Mm-hmm. And like there were priests around who like did sermons that were basically like like you cannot suspect a priest. We're like men of God, like we would never do anything violent. Right. We're like trustworthy people, like whatever, whatever. Fight did admit to visiting a priest at that church on the day of of her attack but um he denied assaulting her although people did notice that he had an injured hand later huh from uh punching a brick again climbing a building to get more uh glass those goddamn glasses they just like to lock themselves into the house and they keep walking out of the house i mean really at the rate he's going through these glasses they're probably just trying to protect themselves (laughs) by locking him out (laughs) So in late April, so now we're back to, so that happened three weeks ago, and then Irene Mm, is found uh in mid-April. So in late April, detectives drained and dragged the portion of the Second Street Canal where they had discovered the muddy shoe print. Lying on the bottom, a few feet from where investigators believed that Irene's body had been dumped into the water, Mm -hmm. was a light green Eastman coda slide viewer with oh. a long black cord weird so slide viewer police ap- appealed to the public for help finding its owner and two days later father john fight stepped forward and said that he had purchased it the previous summer at a port isabel drugstore uh-huh and what's it doing here old mm-hmm. johnny 
Father Fight had been troubled, he explained, when he had learned on Easter that the same woman had talk- he had talked to in the rectory the previous night had disappeared. Uh, she must but have stolen it, been, it. But it had been so busy on Sunday for him because he had offered two morning masses and the late afternoon mass and performed baptisms that afternoon <laughs> and then had to take all those confessions. So that evening, he returned to Sacred Heart to pick up his suit coat and Roman collar, which he had left behind. For all those who don't know, it's the little white piece that goes in your shirt <laughs> that makes white you a tab. priest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically like... The little you, white stiff collar you, like, thing. like vow to, you know, never have sex or relationships with anyone and to live in this house of God. And well, then, you have the little collar that God, says you're owned by God. Right, and then God gives you a collar and is like, good boy. And you get a little tag That's that my says, like, father, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So a priest he saw in the rectory asked him if he would speak to Irene's parents, Nick and Josefina, who are frantic for information about their missing daughter. Uh, the Garzas had heard that he had met with her the previous night, and they wanted to know if he had said anything to her that may have upset her or disturbed her. Mm. And he said that he said no. Uh-huh, of course. And then afterwards, he didn't drive back to San Juan right away. He said that his talk with the girl's parents disturbed him, that maybe he had said something unintentionally that maybe upset her and caused her to, like, disappear or whatever. (laughs) So he said that he hadn't seen her since she left the rectory on Saturday night and that she didn't talk to him since and that she was really worried and she just kind of drove he just kind of drove around for a while. So Father Fight never explained how his slide viewer got into the canal. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had a lot of other questions, not just about that part. They also, yeah, just you're going to go dump a body. Why do you have a slide viewer in your pocket or like on your person? I don't know. Also, yeah, why are you carrying it around? It had like a cord on it, so obviously it's one you like plug in. Oh, Maybe he used it to like huh. tie her up or something. Like I don't know. When you said cord, I thought you meant like one, like just a little like rope thing at the end to like hang off your wrist so you can oh, like hold it up to your eye or maybe. whatever. I thought it was just like one of the handheld right, ones that like you not. just put one in and then hold it up to the sun. Right. But you're right. It does have like a an electrical component. Yeah. There's like, um, I forget who, some like major publication has a bunch of pictures of this whole case. And then I saw it like briefly. So... It's kind of uh, weird looking. It's a lot bigger than I was thinking. Mm. That's even weirder. Yeah, it's pretty weird. So not only that, but there were like other things that they had questions about. And as the days progressed, mm-hmm. they just had more and more questions. So they sat Father Fight down again to ask him about the attack on Maria. Yeah. And in a signed sworn statement, he acknowledged stopping by Sacred Heart Church in Edinburgh, which was the neighboring town, late mm. in the afternoon on March 23rd, the day of the assault, to talk to a priest in the rectory. He also conceded that he had entered the sanctuary and knelt in a back pew to say his rosary. And he also said that he was driving a blue and white 1956 Ford sedan. So all the things that huh. Maria said, he verified. 
He insisted that he left Edinburgh at least an hour before the attack. Returning, returning to the pastoral house in San Juan in time to ring the 5.30 bell. But, like, it sounded to me like Maria basically walked in the church, saw him sitting mm-hmm. there, knelt down, like, how is he going to leave an hour before that when it happened, like, right after she yeah. knelt down? So, not right. adding up. Like, it wasn't, unless she was, like, in some kind of, like, prayer trance and didn't realize that, like, an hour had passed. <laughs> but she had already done, like, a whole rosary, and she was, like, on to the next one. <laughs> and also, I'm looking at the a 1956 Ford sedan, a blue and white mm-hmm. one, and that's very distinct looking. It's got, like, a very interesting paint job. Very distinctive, yeah. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, like, not, I don't know, you wouldn't forget that. Unless all the cars, I mean, were they kind of look, then, you, you know, know, funky back then. But um, okay, so then, yeah, so he said that he left to ring the five thirty bell. As for his bloodied up finger, he said the day he went, the day before he went to Edinburgh, he had gotten it caught in a mimograph machine, mimeograph, <laughs> mimeograph machine the fuck is a I don't know <laughs> I don't know you're on the google machine mimeograph 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 machine mm-hmm. uh, it's like a copier he got his finger cut it's in a, the copier well it's like a it looks like this one's got like a hand crank okay <laughs> basically you have like a stencil and then you ro- it's like a roller the okay. stencil it presses it. Okay. I can kind of picture it. Oh, there's like a video of one in action. Okay. Watch it and tell me if you can get Oh, your... they're making carbon copies. Can you get your finger caught in there? And they're like, it. you like literally are, cr- you crank it with like a crank and then the drum rolls around and then it like copies. So you could probably go, get your you know, finger like... caught in some mechanism. I guess, but the way it's set up, I mean, why would you have your finger on the drum anyway? Oh. <laughs> It doesn't look like, I mean, that's... Not very probable. Not, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, The other part of his story where he said he got back to ring the 530 bell, several other priests told detectives that he did not return to San Juan in time to ring the bell. And that his finger had not been hurt until the night of the attack. Huh. They also... It was just vigorously mimeographing and I guess he he did it the second night, too, and they got the two nights combined. (laughs) I mean, you mimeograph so often, you just kind of like... It all becomes a blur. It does. (laughs) Just one drum spin after another. They also recalled that Father Fight had been wearing the same clothes that Guerra said her assailant had on. I mean, priest's clothes? Yeah, black pants, basically. (laughs) Black priest pants. But both she and an eyewitness who had seen her attacker fleeing the church subsequently picked him out of a lineup. Which, when you're, like, fleeing, you're kind of obvious, right? (laughs) Especially when you have, like, a a woman fleeing in front of you screaming for help. Yeah. I don't know who made it out first, but... I feel like if you see a priest running out of a church, you're kind of like taking notice. I don't know that I've ever seen a priest. And you run, hear, I so. mean, even no matter who came out first, you're still hearing a woman screaming. Yeah, she's screaming and for her life. A priest run. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of conspicuous. <laughs> <That's insane>. Yeah. 
And then he like hops into like a car that's very noticeable. Mm Mm-hmm. So they detectives took Father Fight to a Holiday Inn hotel to ask him questions in June. Why couldn't they just use the confessional? Because <laughs> then it'd be reversed. They'd be like, he's like, you're not getting any information out of me. I will get all the information out of you. What do you know? Oh, that's true. I guess that is like, you know, his hot seat to yeah. God. So they don't want him talking to the big yeah. man. Got to take him to the Holiday well, Inn. Well, and I'm guessing that like, you know, a lot of these people are Catholic. So I don't think they're going to. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, take him back to the confessional. So, mm-hmm. after two days of intense questioning, he was evasive and at times seemed to enjoy baiting his interrogators. Sociopath. Mm-hmm. When asked to suggest a question that the polygraph examiner should pose to him, he put what? this question forward. Do you believe it possible that you may have said something or acted in some way to cause Irene's death? What? This was a question that this guy, yeah. that the father said you should ask yes. me? To his own question, he answered, yes. He stated <gasps> that he was referring to the harsh way he had treated her in the rectory that evening that she disappeared. Is that what they're calling it these days? Uh, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so after urging Father Fight to be candid about the crime, the examiner recorded that the subject in very deliberate and explicit words stated there will never be any evidence turning up in the future in this case. Further, that without a confession on his part, there is not enough evidence in either of these cases to convict him or that a good defense attorney could not tear holes in. I mean, at least they could convict him for the attack on... This is what he's telling police officers. Wow. Wow. Not like, not like, how dare you even question me on this? I'm a priest. I would never, ever kill anyone. That's insane that you would, like, suspect me. Instead, Mm -hmm. he's like, well, there's no evidence and you're never, ever going to find evidence. And if you did find evidence, then a defense attorney would just, like, shut it down immediately. Fuck. So he thinks he's covered his Yeah, he does. The tests definitely implicated, so the um, the report later stated that the test implicated him in both crimes against Maria mm-hmm. and Irene. The examiner was convinced that he was not telling the truth when he denied killing Irene or attacking Maria. Okay. In August, Father Fight was indicted for assault with intent to rape of Maria He was declared a fugitive when church officials at the San Antonio headquarters of the Oblates of Mary Immaculate told arresting officers that he had left the state. The no, no, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Oblates, like the obliques of Mary Magdalene, some kind of yeah. She had some crazy obliques because that woman worked out. (laughs) (laughs) And then secondly, this guy wasn't held like they didn't hold him they were just like he's a priest he's on a flight risk well they like question him they're like definitely suspicious oh. and then finally when so they, they got enough to, go to like him and he's gone yeah okay. and he was gone he had left the state later he surrendered claiming that he had suffered a nervous breakdown brought on by the police interrogations <laughs> So it's like, it's your fault that I ran away. I couldn't yeah, take it. I was trying to forget about this. And you just guys keep asking me questions about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to really hard to deny that I like hurt these women, but you guys are making it really hard. 
the next year, he stood trial for the um, assault and attempted rape. The jury deadlocked nine to three in favor of conviction. Um, and so there was a mistrial. Because you know those three holdouts were like, he's a priest, he could never hurt someone. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you. So rather than face a second criminal trial in 1962, Father Fight pled no contest to reduced charges of aggravated assault and was fined $500. That's all. $500? He tried to rape a woman and was charged $500. And who is the $500 going to? The fucking state? Yeah, probably. Uh, and no murder tra- charges were ever filed against him. What? This is like all that he would face. After the legal proceedings in the Guerra case, Fight was sent to Assumption Abbey, which is a Trappist monastery in Missouri. He didn't feel comfortable with the monastic life at Assumption Abbey, so then he was sent to a parish in New Mexico to a treatment retreat for troubled priests run by the servants of the paraclete. Oh, my God. There's a place for troubled priests? Where do you think they were sending all those child molesting priests? To, uh, they weren't sending them to jail. No, they, were, they were sending them to like a recovery place. Oh, no. For I, just, I never even heard that they went to a recovery place. I just heard that they just get shipped out to a new parish. Well, I think they would move them around. And I think some they would send to recovery. So another priest could be like, oh, no, you're fine. Go back mm-hmm. to work. You'll mm-hmm. just be moved to this parish. And then they go to another parish and hurt children. And then they'd be like, oh, no, he got counseling from other priests and Jesus. And he's fine. So they'll send him to another <laughs> place. I don't know. Great. So so after he goes to the troubled priest place. He joined the order as a staff member and worked his way into a supervisory role at the center where he began counseling child molesters. Oh, my God. He was a counselor. Like, this pisses me off so much that the church is so entitled that they think that priests can become counselors. Well, yeah, because you just pray it without away. Without any training at all. Look, it's just because the devil, like, tempted you. So all you have to do is ask God's forgiveness and pray it away. And then you're magically it's such bullshit. fixed. And Christians do it, too, where they have their, like, pastors or whatever are, like, counselors. Yeah. And it's like, you have no certifications to be doing that. Oh, you're clearly yeah. biased uh, in what you're, like, uh-huh, offering. Uh-huh. Like, this is so hazardous and dangerous when you have a priest counseling father molest father molesters. <laughs> child molesting priests and like sending them on I mean, I being like they they're okay father molesters they are father molesters <laughs> one such father molester was father james porter He came to the center after he was known to have begun molesting children in the 1960s and fight cleared him for placement in another parish. Oh, yeah. Porter was later defrocked, which means he was not allowed to be a priest anymore, and imprisoned after abusing as many as 100 children. After going to the center. After going to the center and fight was like, you're cool, dude. Move on. Keep doing what you're doing. So uh, we're cool. You're doing a great job. Wow. Fucking disgusting. What, just, they just let say, like, an attempted rapist, an actual rapist slash murderer, three our fathers, say three rose rosaries, rosemaries. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I know. 
you don't know that that prayer, oh, you better learn it. Oh my god! What Do your act of contrition. Hell? Say five rosaries, and uh, you just like add six more uh, hail marys on top mm-hmm. of that, and you're good to go. Pure. Yeah, they're letting a murderer, <laughs> rapist, attempted rapist, assaulter, counsel, <laughs> child molesters. It's just so great. I'm, so great. I mean, I understand, like, they didn't have enough evidence to convict him of murder, so, like, double jeopardy. Like, you want to make sure that you can get him when you get him, so well it's not i mean it's that but it's also the fact that like when there is clear evidence like he was pointed out by two eyewitnesses like she saw him following maria saw him following earlier in the day uh the hand cut Mm -hmm. like all that stuff even with all that evidence it was a hung jury because three people won't convict a priest because texas was so catholic Mm -hmm. so i think that they're thinking like there's no way we're gonna get get a conviction like you said the evidence is shaky and even if there was like even though everyone knows he did it people will still be like how dare you speak out against the priest the priest would never commit such a crime never yeah yeah so uh in 19 in the 1970s fight left the priesthood uh he married and became a father of three children and settled in arizona Mm Hmm. Uh, he worked for like an insurance company and then eventually he worked at the Society of St. Vincent de Paul as a food charity volunteer for 17 years. In 2002, former monk Dale Tashney, he needed to make a confession himself. Uh-uh. He had been keeping a secret since 1963 and he needed to clear his conscience. He was a monk at Assumption Abbey in Missouri. Mm -hmm. While he was there, one day an abbot told him that a priest would be joining them who had killed someone, and he asked Tashney to counsel the priest for a few months to determine whether he had the disposition to become a monk. Okay. Not like, like, let's turn him in. This guy, he, Mm -hmm. first of all, they're like, yeah, he obviously he murdered someone. We're not even going to question yeah. that. We're just going to like that's why he's here. And we want to see if we can um promote him along the ranks of uh like some kind of religious Maybe he'll fit in here. Yeah, maybe like it'll be uh-huh. great. What? Excuse me? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that priest was obviously John Fight. Tashney said that Fight confessed to hurting a young lady and murdering another one, but it was not Tashney's job at the time to judge Fight. Mm -hmm. His job was to follow orders of his superiors, so he just held on to the secret for decades as it ate away at him. Like, he's like, I know it was wrong, but that wasn't my job, and when you're a monk, like, you don't speak out against your superiors. Especially when you're you're in... subordinate, like... Yeah, when you're in that um, hierarchy... You don't question it, especially if you've been raised like that and you're um, in it, like in it, in it. You well, just and it's it. a superior who told you yeah. you're going to counsel this guy and see if he can become a monk. He killed someone. You're not going to be like, oh, uh, this guy killed someone. They're right. like, we know. Yeah, that's true. Like he's like, probably cannot... already been dealt with the proper way or whatever. Like now we're, mm-hmm. now he's trying to be a monk. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then that didn't work out for him because uh-uh. he didn't like, like it. I don't there. like so it. got to be a priest it's elsewhere. It's not fun up here. Yeah, fucking. So Tashney didn't really know many of the details of the crime. He didn't know where it had taken place, but he thought it was around San Antonio because fight had trained there. Uh He knew that the murder had taken place um, in the early 1960s. He thought it was like 1963 because that's when um, he came to the monastery. 
and he knew that it happened Easter weekend. Wow. Uh, Tashney called San Antonio police and made a report because he was like, this is the, I think it happened there. Mm -hmm. And then the police were kind of like, yeah, yeah, like whatever. We've, you know, like we get calls like this all the time. We can't really, they kind they like kind of didn't, they're like, just write a report and send it in. They're kind of like passing it off. Yeah. And I'm sure by that time too, it's like they, I mean, they knew, you know, they were questioning him. They thought it was him. So it's like someone else being like, yeah, it's him. They're like, yeah. yeah, well, we couldn't really get him on anything. So unless you have other evidence other than just saying. Well, and I didn't write this down either, which I should have. But what happened was, so he wrote the report and sent it in. And then the San Antonio Police Department kind of looked into it. They're like, okay, 1963, no woman was killed Easter weekend. And they're kind of like looking around. They're like, we can't find anyone because it didn't happen in San Antonio. So they're like, it doesn't fit any crimes. So then someone who was assigned to like the cold case files kind of like looked over the report and then there was someone who was going over the cold case files in McAllen who knew like everyone in this in in that city like knew about this crime like they all knew that this woman was murdered and it was like really a tragedy so he was like kind of gonna look he was doing cold cases and he was like this is my chance to like look into this case Mm. So he was, like, trying to get information. Nothing was happening. And then at some point, for some reason, the two met. And the one kind of offhandedly said, like, we have this case. We don't know when it happened or who or anything about it. But apparently, like, this woman was murdered on Easter weekend. And the guy was like, are you serious? Like, I know that case. That's one of my cases. And then they, like, shared this information. And then it all kind of, like, fell into place. So they reopened the, the murder. Interesting. And so Tashney wrote out this report and he said in the report that Father Fight told him that after he took the young woman's confession, he assaulted her, bound her, and gagged her. Then he returned to the sanctuary to hear confessions. He had moved her to the rectory basement. Then later that evening or in the days that followed, he moved her to another location Then, on Easter Sunday, he put her in a bathtub and placed a bag over her head. As he left, he could hear her saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Oh, my God. When he later returned to the residence, she was dead. And then that night, he put her in the car and was... um, the car that was available to him and removed her and dropped her off along the roadside where there was a canal. Oh, so that's why he was like, did you indirectly have some like have something that was connected to making making her die or whatever? And he was like, yes, because it was like he didn't he didn't like strangle her or like, put you know, do something like physical, like shoot. her. I mean, he beat the shit out of her, though. Right. He like beat her. But you know what I mean? Like he didn't like. In his mind, he didn't stab or, like, he didn't directly kill her. She was alive when he left, but, like, him doing that killed her. I don't even know if he was, like, I don't even know if he was kind of, like, confessing like that. I think what he was doing was he was trying to cover his ass because it was a polygraph. Mm. So I feel like he was just kind of like, oh, because he knew he had something to do with it. He knew he had murdered her. And him being like, oh, my out is to be like, well, I took her confession. So maybe I may have said something to her that, like, offended her during her confession. Right. And I know they're going to ask me questions around this. So I might as well come up with a question that makes it seem like, like there's a oh, well, maybe I, I could have, like, involuntarily. Yeah. Why I would, like, why I would have to say, yeah, I was involved. Mm-hmm because I'm going to like they're going to see it anyway. Mm. Um so when they 
when the one cold case officer showed the report to the other one, like it answered all these questions for him where he was like, this is my case and this is like, this is it. So at the time of Fight's confession to Tashney, Tashney asked him, why are you here and not in prison? He responded, the church protected me. Mm -hmm. Tashney said he didn't show what I would consider to be compunction or sorrow or grief or anything like that. Of course not. He seems like a sick fuck. He is. So like I said, the questions kind of like fit into place like, why had Father Fight dri- driven around McEllen aimlessly on Easter Sunday when he was like, oh, I had just talked to her parents and I was like so upset by their conversation that I just like drove around aimlessly and they were like, that's kind of fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Well, it's because he was like moving her around and then dumping her body. And then why he had left Sacred Heart the previous evening to drive to the pastoral house in San Juan because mm-hmm. he was moving her body. It but wasn't to crime... go get his glasses? <laughs> and why his, like, hand was beat the fuck up? It wasn't because she, like, scratched the shit out of him, fighting him off, oh but because he, like, scraped it on a brick wall. Piece of so shit. So because the crime happened so long ago and there wasn't that much physical evidence, right. investigators had Tashney reach out to fight to see what he would say. Ooh. So they, like, recorded this call, and Tashney calls, and he's like, hey, this is... um." Dave Tashney, like, and then fights like, oh, this is John Fight. Hi, like, what's going on? And then he's like, I just want to clear my conscience about something that happened like a while ago. I read a newspaper article about the murder and some things don't add up. And then Fight was like, oh, are you referring to like that Irene situation or whatever? And then Tashney was like, yeah. And then Fight was like, the only thing I can say is that I'm not the man who killed Irene Garza. Okay. You fucking coward. Fucking dick. So... Then Tashney asked him if someone else did uh-huh. and, like, told him about it. And Fight told him that he had no recollection of what of what he had told Tashney mm-hmm. in the past. So then Texas Rangers investigator Rudy Jaramillo or Jaramillo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depends on who. I don't know what if he's, yeah. you know, what. I don't know. Anyway. He contacted Joseph O'Brien, who was a priest who worked with Fight at the time of the Garza murder. O'Brien told a television program in 2000 that he didn't know anything about Irene's death. Hmm. Tashney said that initially Father O'Brien confronted him and asked why he was talking to police. So after Tashney made the report, O'Brien caught on and was like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. And Tashney was like, I had to do it. Like, this has been weighing on my conscience. This has been eating at me. I'm not a priest anymore. I'm not a monk. Like, I had to tell someone this is fucked up. And then eventually Father O'Brien revealed what he knew about what Fight had done. Okay. He eventually told investigators that he had suspected Father Fight from the very start. Hmm. The lacerations on his hand that Easter weekend were plainly fingernail scratches, he said. Oh, my God. He had been suspicious enough of Father Fight that he and another priest had searched the attic in the basement of Sacred Heart on Easter Sunday looking for any sign of Irene. Wow. They fucking knew he did it. On, like, that day. And they just, like... Yeah, and they let her family go on stressed and worried and, like, frightened, and they just... Just to protect one of their own. Later that day, he had followed fight when he drove back to San Juan, and then he, like, lost the priest at a red light. 
He said that he didn't know anything more than that, and he assured investigators, we felt that he was holding back information and not giving us everything everything that he knew. Oh, the investigator said that he was holding something back, mm-hmm. that O'Brien was. During the last round of questioning, which Chief Rodriguez took part in, the priest finally said, during the summer of 1960, when he had confronted Father Fight about whether he had killed Irene, Fight told him everything, <gasps> and he was finally willing to talk in court. What? This mm-hmm. other dude knew the whole time? Mm-hmm. Like, not just suspected, like, maybe, I don't he's yeah. kind of this fishy dude, but, like, straight up knew. Yep. Ugh. He knew. So many people knew. Fuck. Um, just Renee? as God would have liked it. <laughs> God loves a secret. We always talk about it. <laughs> He is a gossip. Uh-huh. Renee Guerra served as district attorney in Hidalgo, Hidalgo County. I don't know. Why I can't say that. From the 1980s to 2014. Guerra chose not to bring the Garza case before a grand jury until 2004. Hmm. He, so one of, the, one of the Texas Rangers said that it was a good, solid case that they had they had like all the evidence they needed. They had Father O'Brien was willing to confess. They had Tashney who was like going to say what he like his confession, mm-hmm. like everything lined up. They had like all the evidence that they needed basically. But Guerra said that the evidence was weak and that he would not be presenting it to the grand jury because, as we know in this mm. country, the DA is the one that has to get on board before a case goes to trial. Which is okay. <laughs> yep. Then he took it to the next level of being a shitty fucking human being. And he said to Irene's family, why would anyone be haunted by her death? (gasps) She died. Her killer got away. Excuse me? And what the fuck? What does that even mean? He's just a real dick. Nobody would care. Like, oh, well, no one found it. Like, why are you still worried about it? I just don't understand. Ooh. This is why, like, statute of limitations need to, like, go away. Mm. Because thank God we don't have it on murder or else he would have gotten away with it. Because everyone kept fucking quiet for so long. So after months of negative publicity, Guerra finally, in March of 2004, asked two of his prosecutors to present the evidence to a grand jury. The panel met every Wednesday for 15 weeks while hearing other cases. From the start, the proceedings struck those who waited outside the courtroom. Several of Irene's relatives and a bunch of reporters thought it was, like, super unusual. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement was not called to testify until the 11th week. What? Dale Tashney and Father O'Brien were never called at all. Uh, excuse John me? John Fight was never subpoenaed what? to appear before the grand jury. And... Why? The only per I'll tell you, the only person from Sacred Heart who did appear before the grand jury was Elena Sanchez, who is the church secretary, who was a defense witness for fight during his 1961 assault trial. Okay. So the only person they called in was a defense witness. What? Um the fuck? so on June 9th, 2004, the jury declined to indict um, and name defendant John Fight. Obviously, they're like, we're not going to take the case because there's no evidence because mm-hmm. he didn't present any of the fucking evidence. So what happened was 
Guerra was like a super Catholic dude. Mm. And he was like from the old days where everyone was like protecting the Catholic priests and the Catholic church and they could do no wrong. So he was like still basically going to die on that cross of like, oh, no, a priest couldn't have done it, even though we fucking know that he did. And everyone is saying he he did and he's told everyone that he did. And well, he also said that like Tashney's um, he wasn't reliable because it had happened so long ago and that uh, Father O'Brien had like dementia or something. So his recollections weren't worth wow. it or whatever. So we're just going to like not ask him about it. And then in 2005, O'Brien, Father O'Brien died. Good. Then in 2014, District Court Judge Ricardo Rodriguez campaigned campaign to unseat Guerra as district attorney. Good. And one of his um, campaign promises was to solve the Irene Garza case. Yeah, good. He That was like his main focus was he wanted justice for the Garza family. He saw what had just happened to them in 2004 and was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. So he said if he was elected, he would take a new look at the Garza case. And he won the election. And he finally did what no one else could or what no one else would. And he indicted fight for the murder of Irene Garza. Good for him. So February 16th, fight, February 2016, fight was arrested in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was 83 at the time of his arrest. And he used a walker when he appeared in court. Piece of shit. He was extradited to Texas in March 2016 and incarcerated at the Hidalgo County Sheriff Adult Detention Facility. He, they have like this video of him where he like, he like can't understand why he's being charged. Mm. And he was like, he was saying like, well, it happened so long ago. Like, why are they charging me for this? Why is this happening now? Wow. Yes. Do you think it's like so he entered the, a plea of not guilty? Do you think it's like the D'Angelo thing where he like pre, he's like pretending that he's like so old and feeble and doesn't know anything? Well, I mean, he is eighty three, but like, fuck off! You murdered this woman in the prime of her life. I mean, I you guess took if her it, life away. I guess if it and was the attitude of the whole years. the whole church being like, I don't understand why everyone's so upset. It happened so long ago. Why don't we just move on? No one. That cares. was the district attorney who said that. Right, but isn't he like part of the church? Well, he's Catholic. Yeah. So I'm sure that that's like that. That was the attitude. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, he like he's a different person now. He's like, you know, he asked for forgiveness and God forgave him. And then he went on to like marry and have kids. And I'm sure that they had a wonderful have life. His own I'm sure fucking he wasn't life. abusive at all to his mm-hmm. wife and children. So on December 7th, fight was convicted of Irene Garza's murder in the punishment phase of the trial, Fight's defense attorney asked that Fight be given probation, what? citing his lack of felony conviction since Garza's death. Oh, we just killed That's like the, the one person. That's the biggest felony conviction. It's just the yeah. one person. It's fine. Not only that, he beat the shit out of her and raped her, yeah. then murdered her and dumped her body, then talked to her parents. And he probably would have done the same thing to Maria had she not gotten away. Yeah. He was going to rape her and probably murder her uh-huh. for sure. So, uh, bullshit. Mm-hmm. The prosecution was like, fuck off. They asked for a sentence of 57 years, which was symbolic of the amount of time that had passed since Garza's death. Wow. They're like, he's gotten away with this for 57 fucking yeah. years. He should be in prison for like 100. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they said 57, too bad that but he's I say old like 100. And he can't serve more time because he's a shit. He needs to run. Uh huh. Mm mm. 
So on December 8th, 2017, the jury gave him a sentence of life in prison. On February 12th, 2020, he died of natural causes in Huntsville Hospital. It would have been nice if he was murdered. It would have been nice if he was caught immediately because everyone fucking knew that he did it in the whole town. They were like, the whole town knew he did it, but they're all afraid to say anything because they couldn't go against the Catholic Church. And how dare you think that a priest could do something so horrible? The priests knew about it. The monks knew about it. Everyone fucking knew about it. Well, you can't. Who cares if he's a priest? Because you can't risk like, lock being him smite, smote, smited. Smited. Can't risk being smited, smoted, smoted by smite, the Almighty. Smotted. You know, if you turn on the priest, God's just like, zap to you. It's just so disgusting. Yep. That's why it's I think it's so a bad idea to get in a group and talk about things that don't exist and then um, start protecting each other it gets really uh, it goes bad it goes bad real fast it's just it's just another cult it's just like cult after cult after cult like everyone's like looking for answers Mm -hmm. okay there are no answers Mm -hmm. so just find like what works for you be happy love people treat them kindly and move on like live your life and don't influence other people you do you and let everyone else do them and then like get together for joyous occasions and whatever but like just like stop protecting shitty people just because they believe in the same things as you like what the fuck yeah and uh clean yourself up with some humblebee herbal soaps (laughs) Ugh! if you just feel so gross right now i feel so gross right Mm -hmm. now take a nice soaky bath with a cool fizzy bath bomb they're really cute heart-shaped bath bombs and they're chemical free i don't know if you all know this but a lot of bath products have sls or slsa in them and those are harmful to aquatic life and our oceans and also skin irritants so please stop buying products with like weird shit in them because it's going right into the ocean right to the fish right to the whales right to all the sea creatures but anyway, they don't have any of that weird chemical shit in there. They're all natural. That's humblebeeherbal.com. <laughs> Get yourself something nice to wash away all this sin. Wash away this year. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> humblebeeherbal.com. Code CARMONY20 at checkout. Mm-hmm. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. I hate this story. So, dude was a fucking tossed ass salad. Oh, yeah. He fucking sucked. The whole Catholic church is tossed. Salad. Just tossed. Tossed. Total tossed. With a few rotten eggs in it. (laughs) So disgusted that he was allowed to get away with it. They knew what he had done, Mm -hmm. and he was allowed to get away with it. Not only that, but then he was then counseling men who were uh, raping children. Yeah. Yeah, like he has some authority uh, to, to tell them. And how then, to like, help okaying themselves. them to go back mm-hmm. out in and public with children. and have access to small yeah. children unsupervised. Disgusting. Like, it's just so. I just don't. I just don't understand what they were thinking. Like, what were you thinking? They're not thinking. That God's going to cure your, like. No, it, it's a whole. Fucking grossness. The Catholic Church is a huge business. I mean, any big religion is just a huge business. They're just protecting their ass and their bottom line. If they get bad publicity, then people aren't going to come and give them free money all the time. And then they're going to lose their status. And then it's all bad. They got to, you know, 
have a house for their naughty priests where they spank them until they're like, we promise to be good. And like, okay, you can counsel the, the other naughty priests. And then they're like, yeah, we'll tell them how we were saved. And then it's just uh, a whole cycle of mm. abuse and then them being okay with abuse and then creating more abuse and uh, people being afraid of God. Yeah, I just don't. I can't like both our stories. It's just like, what the fuck was happening? <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? And now for the portion that we like to call Crimey Six, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Okay, I have one from CJ.my. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it is. But anyway, I'm just going to read it. (laughs) Police in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh have arrested two con men for duping a local physician into buying an Aladdin's lamp. (laughs) Promising it would bring him wealth and health. L.A. Khan filed a complaint Uh with local police in Miru on October 25th, stating the men had initially requested more than $200,000 from him for the oil lamp, but settled for a down payment of $41,600. He stated in his complaint that the defendant summoned a genie... (laughs) summoned a genie from the lamp dressed up as Aladdin as part of their ruse from the Arabian Nights tale. Uh, Indian news agency NDTV reported that he first met the two while treating a woman he believed was their mother. He had visited the supposed patient at their house for over a month for treatment. Gradually, they started telling me about a Baba, (laughs) Godman, whom they claimed also visited their home. They started brainwashing me and asked me to meet this Baba. The statement read, Mirut police officer Amit Rai said two men were suspected of defrauding other families using the same method. He added that a third female suspect, the wife of one of the, sus- one of the suspects who was allegedly involved in the fraud, is still at large. <laughs> Shocking. I would like to buy a magic lamp. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's not that much money if it's a real genie. Except for you can't trust genies because they always flip the script. They're tricky. Have you not watched Aladdin? Like, genie was chill and all, but he was also a trickster. They're tricksters. Yep. Um, I have one from TheMeatEater.com. Okay. Okay. An Idaho man is in hot water after he tried to use a hot spring as a hot pot. Yellowstone (laughs) National Park has banned him and his sous chefs following an incident where they used a thermal spring in the park to cook chicken. According to the East Idaho News, the incident occurred on August 7th when the rogue Gorman was spotted hiking through the Shoshone Geyser Basin with several others in tow, armed with cooking pots, When a ranger investigated the report, he discovered a group of 10, including one child, hanging out while two whole chickens in a burlap sack floated in the nearby hot springs. What? The man, who was not named in the official report, and the two others were cited for foot travel in a thermal area. The man pleaded guilty to the charges on September 10th in a Yellowstone court. 
He was also ordered to pay $600 for each charge and serve two years of unsupervised probation. He is also forbidden from entering Yellowstone during that time. (laughs) The park prohibits any travel beyond boardwalks or designated trails inside hydrothermal areas due to safety concerns. Active geysers are found throughout 3,472 square miles of Yellowstone, and the water can reach temperatures that exceed 400 degrees Fahrenheit. In fact, according to the National Park Service, hot springs have injured or killed more people than any other natural feature in the park. Whoa. (laughs) That shit's hot. Don't go cooking your chicken. I mean, I mean, it's kind of awesome and hilarious, but like also dangerous as fuck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just making like do with Earth's natural <laughs> resources. It'd be like filled with minerals and stuff. It'd be like some good shit. Oh yeah, it probably tastes a bit like eggs. Yeah, you get that sulfur. good sulfur taste. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more that kind of relates back to, remember the one that I told you about the woman just walking on the wing yes. of an airplane? No. Well, apparently people are just going crazy <laughs> no. on airplanes nowadays because according to CNN.com, two passengers on a Delta flight bound for Atlanta opened a cabin door and activated the <gasps> slide to exit the plane while it was taxiing oh to a runway. Oh my God. At, the, at New York's LaGuardia what, Airport. in the middle of the fucking like... Like, it's taking too long. You know, it'd be really fun if we just slid down. Also, like, other planes are taking off from, like, around there. So, what the fuck? You're just gonna, like, walk back to the terminal? Well, yeah. And also, they had a large service dog that also deplaned with them. <laughs> like, send the dog and these two people down what a slide. What the fuck? The pilot told passengers over the cabin speakers that the slide had been deployed and the door was open, but did not state that passengers had fled. The plane sat on the tarmac for more than an hour before returning to the gate. That sucks so bad. <laughs> yes, getting on a plane and then like, all right, we're taxiing, you're ready to like, get going, great. And then someone fucks up and you got to go back. You got to wait an hour mm-hmm. and then go back and then find other flights. People be deplaning I, wrong. Oh, I would be so <laughs> mad. I would be so mad. People yeah. are so selfish. Like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what is happening in the world today where people are so selfish that they just do do this shit? What do you think is going to happen? Get out. Like, let's have some, like, more long-term thinking uh, happening, please. (laughs) I mean, in the short term, you know, a slide does sound fun. Yeah, everyone's always wanted to try the slide. We all want to try it. It seems fun. It's like a giant puffy slide. Who doesn't want to try it? Yeah, yeah. But in the long term, you get to the bottom. (laughs) Exactly. And then you're fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> it was two seconds of fun for a lifetime of fun. Yes. Ugh. Because they're probably like blacklisted. For from sure. Their That's now. super dangerous. You yeah. can't just do that. <laughs> and then you're stopping all those other flights that are taking off from that area. Like, mm, mm-hmm. and everyone else has to find mm-hmm. new flights. And ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> not the time. Also, after you've been flying for like hours. No, uh-huh. don't mess with me after I've been on a plane for fucking hours. Like, you're no, already grumpy no. and tired because you can't sleep on those stupid little chairs that don't go back at all. And then 
you're already crammed yeah, you're like crammed this up close to going and walking on the airplane it's like wing dirty and gross yeah, yeah just don't fuck with people on planes <laughs> and then you're just gonna do that shit where they have to stay longer <sighs> oh well anyway, <laughs> thanks for tuning in again <laughs> this episode of shittiness has been brought to you by us and humblebee herbal mm-hmm. wipe your shit away with some humblebee herbal soaps and stop being shitty people please yeah. <laughs> not that you're shitty but people are shitty yeah wish everyone would stop being so shitty that'd be nice yeah yeah <laughs> let's work on that for the new year less shittiness oh yes that's a good um collective resolution <laughs> there we go we'll all be a little less shitty to one another that'd be nice happy new year's everyone <laughs> happy new year and we <laughs> will we'll see you on the other side we will speak at you next week rate review subscribe thanks humblebeerable.com have a good new year's goodbye goodbye The normal bobbies usually don't.